Hello, welcome to the Average GI Joe podcast. My name is Adam. Today with me is a person that I actually haven't worked with. He's my first guest that I have not worked with. His name is Stuart. Hello, Stuart. Hello. So right off the bat, uh, you're, I'm, we're going to notice that you don't speak like the typical American sailor. Am I correct? Correct, yes. Uh, before we get into that, can you tell us what you did in the Navy? Uh, I was an aviational structural mechanic, uh, so pretty much on the aircraft side of the naval uh, naval aviation, on the aircraft side of uh, the house. Uh, I would, on the O level, which is the uh, in a squadron level, um, I would take care of the airframe, the landing gear, the flight controls, the hydraulic system, pretty much anything made out of metal that didn't have a jet engine, uh, jet engine fuel in it and electricity running through it we pretty much took care of it. So that was pretty much the entire structural component of the aircraft. And at the eye level side, uh, which is where I went to my last command, I did NDI, which is non-destructive inspection. So I got to go out and inspect uh, aircraft and aircraft components and aircraft support equipment, looking for defects that couldn't be seen uh, typically with the naked eye, which is, pretty, which is a pretty cool job. And that's what I do as a civilian now is I do NDI stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Like with all these podcasts that I'm doing, I like to start generally to start your story at the high school age. But first, I want to get into where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern England in a, a town in Northern England about uh, it's called Leeds. It's about 45, 50 miles east of Manchester, 200 miles north of London. I'm trying to think. Um, I never actually been to England, but I did, I did hit ports in Scotland. I just can't remember. Glasgow, I think, is where. Yeah, uh, so you would have gone to uh, Presswick. Okay. Presswick, and there's a, another, there's a big sub-base up there. There's a big Royal Navy sub-base up there, which a lot of DDGs and small boys hit. If they're going out into, like, the uh, north, uh, up into the uh, Arctic, into the North Sea, that area, yeah. by Sweden, Norway, that area, they, they tend to hit up there. And the only reason I know that is because I've got friends that I've met through my Navy career that have then gone on to small boys. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about like uh, the, the people that were in the, what I like to call the administrative rates. Yeah. Your PSs, okay. your YNs, your ITs. Those are the guys that, you know, they're, 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 they're really lucky because they're not tied to yeah. any one part of the Navy. They can pretty much go anywhere because ITs, PSs, YNs, yeah. they're all needed all over the fleet. So they could be, they could do, you know, multiple uh execute multiple orders yeah but never be in the same field twice so they're the ones that you know they'll be on a ddg and then they'll go to a uh some admin house somewhere and then they'll go to a a, a squadron and then they'll go to like a cb unit and yeah. it's like they, they, they're literally there because they you know that's you know they're they get to they get to experience a lot of things i met a few of those guys and they've gone all over done nato orders done They've gone, like, say, small boys, and then they've, you know, they've gone all over. They, they, they have a, they have a fun time. You know, they have some really cool set of orders that they can get, uh, can get options to. What, what was it like growing up in your uh, hometown? Uh, so my hometown, like, say, it's we, we always argue as to how big it is. Uh-huh. Um, geographically, I think it is the third biggest city in the UK. Okay. Uh, Population-wise, the fourth. 
behind uh, London, Birmingham, Manchester, and then Leeds and Manchester always argue as to who's the uh, the third biggest. You know, yeah. population-wise, I think Manchester's got us, but uh, actual physical size-wise, Leeds is bigger than Manchester. Okay. So it's it's a big it's a big metropolitan city um, where I grew up. Um, very multicultural. It was uh, it was I was really lucky. You know, I mean, I grew up. You know, you know, you could, you know, within. I always try to explain to people like the, the different foods you could get from my area. You know, you could, you know, you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, people ask, well, did you have curry houses? I'm like, yeah, but what kind of curry do you want? And they're like, what do you mean? I go, well, do you want North Indian, Southern Indian, do you want Bangladeshi, <laughs> do you want Jamaican, do you want West Indian food, do you want West Indian curry? And they're like, what? There's different curries. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's different. There's you know there's you know. And then you had your you know your Italian restaurants, you had your fish and chip shop, you know, quintessentially British fish and chip shops. So I grew up. So I grew up, you know, in that in that you know in the part of the town in part of the city I grew up in in northeast Leeds or northern Leeds. I grew up in like a really multicultural area. So you know, it was the best. Of, it was really good. I got to go to uh, I got to go to a. My primary school was pretty. My primary school was okay. My middle school was okay. Uh, both of them kind of don't exist now. As, when I was, I went there, and uh, then I went to high school, and I was really lucky. The high school I went to, when I went there, had a bad, bad, pop, uh, bad had a bad reputation. You know, the, the you know the standing joke was, if you want to learn how to steal cars, go to my old high school. Uh, <laughs> but when I got there. I think they were trying to they were trying to turn themselves around, and they got you know quite a lot of grant money, and they pumped that into back then they called the CDT, which is uh, design. Some, some it was some I can't remember what the C was, but it was like design and technology. So they were pumping a lot of money into okay. design and technology, and they had completely redone a lot of the science labs. That was getting a lot of money was getting pumped into that as well. But we had, you know, it was a very British school. We had, you know, we had two uh, soccer pitches, two rugby pitches, two field <laughs> ho- two field hockey pitches, all within the grounds. That's what I did. And then after high school, I went to the uh, university. Uh, I, I applied to the local university. <laughs> they were I didn't get the grades to get in there, <laughs> so I ended up I ended up uh, I ended up going to a an ex polytechnic, which was frowned upon. Polytechnics were kind of like lower grade schools. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's like going to Harvard and Stanford and then you go into like the university of somewhere, you know, okay. and it's like, it's kind of a, it was an, it was an ex polytechnic, which means it was more of a trade school. Yeah. Okay. I got but you. I got to go, I got to go to uh, that school. I got my, you know, and I eventually got my degree in chemistry from there. Oh, wow. And then, and that's and that's how I ended up, and I ended up meeting someone, and that's how I ended up moving to the U.S. Oh, we could get um, into that a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. But uh, what what kind of activities and hobbies were you doing at this time? Oh, so back then it was mainly I was mainly into school. Uh, you know, that was taking up a lot of my time. You know, I played on my high school badminton team. It's kind of funny when I say, "What what, what sports did you play in high school?" Like yeah. badminton, like, <laughs> like me with a little birdie. I'm like, yes, with a little birdie. You know. <laughs> You know, and I was I was a scorer on my cricket team. I wasn't very good at that. You know, I was a scorer on my cricket team, but I didn't really get into the sports. I didn't, you know, you know, my last few years in England, I was pretty much, you know, video games stuff like that. But it was yeah. I was working when I wasn't working. I was at university, so it was like that was taking up most of my time. Um, I know when I'm I was going through my education, uh, we were always asked what you wanted to be when you grew up. Uh, did they ever ask you that? And if so, what was your answer? 
Uh, so when I was little, I wanted to be a pilot, uh -huh. a commercial airline pilot. Uh, I've always been interested in aircraft, always been interested, interested in aviation. Okay. Uh, and I initially, when I went, when I went to, when I wanted to go to university, you know, when you're going through school, you're like, what do you want to do? I, like, I want to work in aviation. I want to work in, on planes. I want to work on aviation. I want to be, you know, in a aerospace engineer. And, and unfortunately, um, there was only five, six, maybe seven universities that were offering, uh, back then, offering any kind of you know, aerospace engineering. So mm -hmm. they could make the, the grades that you needed, the points that you needed to get into that class uh, pretty high. So they could take the creme de la creme, and they were wanting like, you know, two A's and a B in A levels, which is they wanted, so they wanted, they wanted like 28 points, you know, and I'm like, with my grades, I know there's no way I can get, you know, two A's and a B. And I end up getting, I end up getting like uh, C, a couple of D's and, and an E. You know, so it's like, you know, I barely got 14 points, which is more than enough to get the 10 points to get into chemistry. And so it's like, you know, so okay. I knew that I, and you knew going in, there was no point in applying because you knew you weren't <laughs> going to get in. So I, so I ended up going, well, that's what I want, but what I'm good at, <laughs> science and what I'm good at is chemistry so I ended up like say I applied to a, a bunch of different universities so clearly at this time you're you're living in the UK so obviously uh, being a Navy sailor wasn't on your mind no no can you, can you explain your journey from the UK to the States and the begin uh, when you started thinking about joining the military okay so uh, first off it's not that like I never thought about joining the military. My grandfather was in the Royal Navy. Okay. Uh, in the Second World War, he was a chief petty officer in the Second World War, and I, I don't know if he ended up as a chief petty officer or where he started out at. So, so anyway, so like I said, I was in university. I'd met someone, um, ended up moving to Utah. Got married to her. Lived in Utah for four and a half years. <laughs> um, uh, I lived there for four and a half years. I got. Even with my chemistry degree, I was getting like low paid jobs, like $12 an hour. This is back in 2001. Okay. 2001 to like 2006, I was, you know, getting $12, $13 an hour jobs with a bachelor's degree working in various labs. I was getting really, I was like, this is BS. I'm getting a low paid job. I'm, it's, it, it's paying the bills, but I'm not really going anywhere. This is kind of boring, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, I need a new job. I'm getting kind of, you know, it's like, this is, it's, it's a good, it's, it's an okay job, but the pay wasn't that great. And so I was on the, the Utah, what's it called? It's the Utah job, you know, the, 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 the government, the, the Utah government, like, uh, you know, job site. Uh -huh. It's got a, it's got a particular name. I can't what it is. And the, there was all these jobs getting posted. So I'm like, at that point, I'm like, right, I'm just going to start shooting out my resume and I see one job, and I, you know, I was talking to my, uh, my well, now ex-father-in-law, but he's now, he's now passed away, uh, my ex-father-in-law, and he's like, hey, you know what, you like aviation, why don't, you know, air traffic control, because all the, all the guys that Reagan had brought in, they're all getting close to retirement now, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, and so, you know, you start, where, where do you want to, you know, what field do you want to work in aviation? And it's like, and this job pop up, do you want to be an air traffic controller? Yeah. And I kind of look at it, and you know, I'm more than qualified, you know, you know, education-wise. I'm like, mm -hmm. huh? Okay, let me let me send my resume. And right as I send it, I notice the email address is a military address, and I'm okay. like, 
Oh, no, to send an email, I'm like, you know what? At this point, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, not to use a, a bad word, but I'm just capping, capping bombing my resumes. You know, I'm just throwing it out there, seeing what sticks. And I throw it out there, and my resume gets sent out, and I don't hear anything for uh, probably a week or two. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, I get a phone call. Hey, uh, this is uh, Petty Officer so-and-so from the uh, recruiting place, some you know, central recruiting place. Hey, we've got your resume here. So you want to be an air traffic controller? And then very quickly, they're like, wait a minute. Um, are you a U.S. citizen? <laughs> they hear my accent. Are you a U.S. citizen? I'm like, uh, no, I'm a green card holder. Oh, well, unfortunately, you can't be an air traffic controller because you need to have a, you know, you need to get a, you know, clearance. You need to be a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, huh. Oh, okay. Do you still want to talk to us? I'm like, sure. So I end up getting sent over to then AME2 Hire. I remember my recruiter's name. Do you want to meet me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go to the, uh, I go to the West Valley uh, recruiting station office uh, right there in uh uh, West Valley, Utah, which is just west of Salt Lake City. I walk in, I say hi, and we start talking. And he's like, "Well, you know, you're not a U.S. citizen, so unfortunately, there's a lot of jobs you can't do." You know, and he's like, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Well, I want to work in aviation." He said, "Well, you know, luckily it was an AME, so he kind of knew what he was talking about." You know, yeah. but I gone to someone who was uh, there was an FC two there, and I'll we can talk about him later. Um, <laughs> There was a FC2 there. And so I get talking to him and he's like, look, essentially we are being a U.S. citizen. If you want to go into aviation, there's three jobs you can do. AM, AD, which is the mech, AE, which is the electronic guys. They're the ones who, they're the wire chasers. So yeah. they look after all the electronics in the aircraft. They don't typically tend to play around with the radios, all the, all the, all the flight computers, the all the other, you know, high-end, you know, stuff they don't they don't they don't deal with that they tend to you know deal with the wires pressure sensors stuff like that mm-hmm. and i'm like well i want to work on the aircraft you know i want to work on the aircraft structures you know and, you know it's kind of breaking down the job you know the max look after the engines mm-hmm. the airframe as they look after all the, all the metal work i'm like yeah i want that's something i wouldn't mind doing it's like oh great and so we get talking some more he's like wait a minute you've got a degree oh i can give you eight thousand dollars for that and when you've got a boot camp i can put you in as an e3 so you don't have to wait around. As soon as you get out of boot camp, you know, you'll, you know, a couple of months you'll be eligible for the test, you know, but it's like, pretty much like by the time you get through, you know, A school and, you know, they're already set down, basically for A school, C school, by the time you get to your first command, you'll be ready to take the test and you'll do pretty good because you'll have just come out of A school. So you'll have all that A school knowledge for the <laughs> test. I'm like, all right, okay. And he's like, you know, and because you want to be an AM, I can give you another $6,000 for that. I'm like, wait, I'm getting eight, I'm getting like $14,000 bonus um, just to, uh, you know, just to be an airframer. Uh, and little did I know there was a hurricane coming through and it took out Pensacola. And we'll get to that in a second. So I'm like, all right, cool. But there was a problem. My green card, my green card had expired. Um, but me and my ex-wife had put the paperwork in. Me and my wife, or ex-wife, we did it by the book. I got a fiancé visa. I had to go down to the American Embassy in London. I had to go and get medical done. I had to prove all my, I had all my shots. 
I had to do a lot of a lot of legwork, and I've had a lot of dealings with the I. I've had a lot of dealings now. It's now ICE, but back then INS. So I had a lot of dealings with them. So it, it takes time, you know. What I mean, I'm all for immigration. If you want to move to this country, great, mm-hmm. do it legally. Yeah, you know. What I mean, I've seen people that just get messed up so bad because you know. So 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 I got my K1 visa. We got married. I eventually got my work permit. That was a story to itself. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up getting my work permit and then I got my green card, but you don't get a 10 year green card. They only give you a two year green card. Okay. So my first green card was only two years old. This I, so I've been, so now I've been in the country a couple of years, my green card, my physical green card has expired, but they sent me a letter because my wife and I, my ex-wife and I, we put in a request for a 10 year green card, but they were so backed up. They sent me a letter saying that, oh, this person's green card is good for another year, which is so backed up. Hey, I got in and out of the country with that letter, with my old, with my green card that expired on that letter. Yeah. The, the, you know, I, remember I went out of the country, came back in, and they're like, oh, that's, that's fine. You know, we, it's backed up. You've got an official letter. You know, it's official looking. You know, it's, it's you know, stamped and everything. We're not going to you know, cause any problems. So. But the military being the military, they wanted it. It had to be perfect. Yeah. So I got put in the delayed entry in August, August 2005. I'm in the delayed entry. I get into the delayed entry program. And the next seat to be an airframer to go to boot camp is now April 2006. Okay. So I get put on hold so that my um, green card, I can get a proper 10-year green card. That was, you know, so I got put on hold because of that. And then literally, I think by September, my new green card had come. So as soon as I, you know, I turned it into AM, AM2 higher now. And so my green card was good and I was then, I didn't, I'd look, I'd quit anyway because I was sick and tired of the, that job I was working with the, with the powders. And I was then working in a lab and even going in as an E3 with the BAH and the BAS, I was going to take like a, I think I put it out like a $300 pay cut. Yeah. But, oh, okay. But that was going in back in 06, you know, E3, you know, less than, What's the pay scale? It's some weird. They have a weird pay scale right at the beginning, like less than, like yeah. less than six months or less than nine months. You get a weird, some, some weird pay scale. And so when I went to Great Lakes, Great Mistakes, uh, they, I took like a two hundred dollar pay cut because I was getting because I was married. I was getting BA. I was getting BAH yeah. for Utah. So my ex was living in Utah and I was out and I was you know I got sent to Great Lakes and. I was pretty lucky, my recruiter. So I was, so I was 27 when I first started talking to the military. I had my 28th birthday while I was in the delayed entry program. Okay. And then, so April rolls around. April 26 rolls around, and my recruiter's like, "You know what? You're older. You're married. I trust you." Um, he said, "Normally, we have you guys come in and spend a night in the hotel in Salt Lake City, and then we take you to the, uh, we take you because their catchment area is pretty big." Yeah. You know, and most of the guys that they're dealing with are 17, 18, 19, yeah, yeah. 20, just got out of high school. He's like, look, you're married, you're older. I trust you. You need to be at the MEP station in in Salt Lake City uh, for whatever time it was in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. So we go to MEPs, you know, we do all the, we do all the physical, the medical stuff, the paperwork, you know, I get the, the manila folder that needs to go to, you know, when I go for in-processing in Great Lakes. I get a food voucher. I get sent, you know, I get driven up to the airport, which is, you know, probably about a 20-minute 
25 minute drive from where we are. You know, I get a plane ticket to uh, American on American Airlines from Salt Lake City to Great Lakes and the to uh, Chicago O'Hare and get told pretty much like, go to the USO. And I'm like, okay, I get there. And, you know, they've got the usual, you know, welcoming committee and they're like, all right, uh, disappear for three hours. Go make phone calls. Just don't come back until this time. All right, cool. So we come back and the hours all line up and they start calling everyone's name. Finally got on the coach, drive up there. Because we get in, you know, go here. And it's, you know, it's getting late at night. It's getting pretty late at night. Go in here, do, you know, stand here, do that. I'm like, yeah. all right, cool. Cool. This, you know, this, all right, this isn't too bad, you know. I'm, of course, I'm older. I'm not, you know, I'm like, it's easier. Exactly. And I've learned, you know, my many, many, <laughs> you know, by this point, I'm 28. I've learned, look, they're just here to get a job done. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not here to be your friend. They're here to get your job. They're just here to get a job done. They're, they're, you know, and I've learned their mission is to get you processed in. You know, we get there, we check in, we process in. And, you know, they do the, you know, you have to, you know, the moment of truth to do the urinalysis. Yeah. You have to do that urinalysis, you know, and then you, you know, you, you start, uh, they put us, they put us in a P-way. And it's like, then getting to like one o'clock in the morning, we're all still in this P-way. We can't talk to each other. We're all facing, pretty much facing down one hallway, across the doors, and then facing back. And it must have been getting to like 70, 80, low 80s. And this is in April. You know, the heating's on. Yeah, okay. And we're like, starting, I'm like, starting, I'm sweating. I'm like, this is not good. It's now getting into the small hours in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm getting really close to passing out. And luckily, someone else, they don't pass out, but they're like, petty officer, permission to get a drink of water, petty officer. You know, you know, you know, you get taught to do that, the whole petty officer, what you yeah. want, petty officer. And so they ask, end up asking for water. And pretty much after like the second or third person, the, the petty officer's like, oh, I guess it is warm. And these guys are not, you know, we're, we're stood up. It's two o'clock in the morning, we're stood up. And we end up getting drinks of water. And then they end up, they're trying to, because at that point, they're trying to figure out, you know, looking at everyone's, breakdown you know if you was in high school band do they want to put you in a 900 division yeah. or are they going to put you in a regular division so i'm trying to break everyone down and out and then they end up you know small hours and like three o'clock in the morning they end up putting us in uh they end up putting us in a classroom type setting you know the class and they're like all right go to sleep now i'm one of these people like if i get told go to sleep boom i go to sleep mm -hmm. and it, it was it was a joke between my boot camp buddies they're like so, Blue, you're the weirdest. Like, we get told to go to sleep. Five minutes later, you're snoring your head off. I'm the yeah? same way. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, but wait a minute. When you get told to work up, you know, within less than 10 seconds, you're fully lucid and ready to go. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm lucky that way, you know. <laughs> so we get put in this classroom. This is like, you know, this is like P-Day zero. You know, by this point, we're already being processed and we've got our, you know, our Blue Smurfs on. You know, we've got our blue Smurfs on. We're, you know, you know, completely devoid of anything. You know, we've had to ship all our gear back home. Uh, you could keep your wallet, your watch. Um, you could keep uh, your religious books as well if you had any. The clothes you're wearing got shipped home. The shoes you're wearing got shipped home. Because at that point, you know, you're in the military. We're gonna, we're gonna feed you, clothe you. You know, if you've got nothing, we're going to give it to you. If you need yeah. it, you know, if you haven't got a bank account, we're going to set up a Navy Federal bank account for you. If you need whatever you need, dental work, whatever you need. So those, so those eight weeks, you know, there's that, you know, they break you down 
but then they build you back up, yeah. but they give you everything you need. So, you know, so we get, so we finally get through processing, you know, you have no, all of a sudden I have to start shaving. At that point, I never really ever used uh, electric shaver. So I had to learn how to shave. You know, I get the, you know, the dragon lady haircut, you know, <laughs> everyone think everything that's a meme like no no she's she's there that dragon lady i was like oh yeah i remember her you know i don't know if she actually did my haircut but i remember her being there whenever i see a picture that meme of her like if you've got a, if you've got a haircut of this lady you know you know you've <laughs> been hit by the dragon lady and uh, so we uh, you know so i think we were in that building for like 36 hours and we finally at the end of like day two finally get to get to uh the the barracks and where we're st- where we're going to be for the next eight weeks, and we finally get in there, and it's you know it's just torture because I'm with I'm with our brother Div, so I'm with their IDCs. I'm you know I'm not with our IDCs. You know our IDCs are with all the females, so it's like yeah. all right, cool. Oh, recruit division commanders if the anyone wants to know what an IDC is. So we end up, and that's where I went. I spent the entire eight weeks there. Uh, my uh, my boot camp, my one of my one of my bunk buddies for right at the beginning was this kid called Barbosa. He just he was he'd gone to boot camp like four weeks prior, but I guess he'd failed some kind of test. You know how they do that basic test? Yeah. And he'd failed a portion, so he got put into like remedial study for four weeks. So each so when we finally get into our room, he shows up and a couple of other kids show up and we're like, alright, cool, whatever. And like I said, talking about my boot camp division, talking to people afterwards. Um, we were one of the oldest, uh, our average age. I think I was 28, and I think after talking around with the guys, I think I was the fourth oldest. There was guys that were 33, oh, wow. 31. Yeah, we were, we were pretty old. I was 28, so we were pretty old. I, I, you know, we had a couple of 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds. Um, I don't That's think kind of fortunate for you. Yeah. So we had an oldest. So we had a very old – we had a very old – an old – our average age was a lot older. And we even had a girl – that uh, even though she got asthma in the first week, we had a girl, we showed up on Wednesday, um, her birthday, her 35th birthday was that Friday. Yeah, I spent, uh, the, so I met Barbosa. Uh, he was my bunkmate for two nights. And then, you know, and the, the first couple of weeks, they're always asking, who wants this job? Who wants that job? And I put my hand up for everything. Oh. I, ne- I never got selected. I never got selected for an hour's division body the entire eight, weeks i was division body for the entire eight weeks i turned when i turned i marched when i marched i ran when i ran you know when i got told when i got told to do something i just did it but what was really funny about my rdc's one was from jamaica uh, so she was she, she you know so she talked to me about you know once you know she talked to me every now and again about british stuff you know when when my mom sent me in when my mom sent me a letter in boot camp she noticed that the the way that she put the address rather than putting like the top left hand corner they do in america she'd put it on the back and she noticed that so she thought, but it was really funny. So my, she was the second class. She was a HM2. She clocked that I was British, like almost straight away, you know, because she come and talk to me. Um, it took about two days for the uh, first class uh, um, to figure out I was English. And we would, we would do, I think we were doing all our uniforms. You know, when you get utilities, back then it was the utilities, the blue utilities, yeah. and you're stamping all your names and stuff. And that's when he figured out I was English. <laughs> Two days later, you finally think, hey, Clue, are you English? Uh, you so yes, pretty officer. You know, that's how you're answering all the questions. You're like, you're just speaking into you. You need to. And my chief, though, it took my chief a week. Funny story. I'm in boot camp. And you know how they, they you know, you start getting ready for that first inspection. You know, yeah. when they come in, they mess with your cover. They pull your dog tags out. They make sure you've got a pen. Yeah. And it's just messing with And then 
messing with me to see if you'll react. And I just stood there at attention. Don't move. Don't flinch. Don't do nothing. And I'll never forget this because I'm looking at the, the two kids that are stood opposite me. And because uh, I, I wouldn't tell them my first name. I would not tell anyone my first name. So they just kept calling me glue, glue, glue. And I was like, I'm going to find out what your first name is. And he did. Took him to like week six. Anyway, he's coming down the line. He messes with me. And he's walking off. Out of my eyeline, he's walking off. And then he asked me, you know, what does the lieutenant wear as a collar device? So, of course, you know, chief, the lieutenant wears two silver bars as a collar device, chief. And I just stood there. And I literally see him stop and swing back. And at this point, the two guys on the other side are like, oh, what's going to, what she's going to do to him now? <laughs> and you could see like, huh? What the? Glue, where are you from? Chief, I'm originally from Leeds, England, Chief. He's like, I haven't heard you talk. That's a good thing. Keep it up. And then just keeps going down the line. Because at this point, the two guys, uh, two guys opposite me are trying. They're like, trying not to lose in the car, you know. And then, you know, he goes around. And then later on that night, he actually comes and finds me and starts talking to me, you know. He's like, oh, you know, he's like, you know, I didn't know you were English. You're like, you've been here a week. <laughs> you haven't spoken. I'm like, I'm here to, you know, pass a job. Yeah, I went through boot camp. Um, you know, uh, another funny story. So this was back in, so when did you go to boot camp? I was in 2002. Okay. So you would have done the old Marlin Spike then. The old mm -hmm. ship that looks like a fake ship. Yes. Not the new, because when I was there, they were just, they were putting divisions into the new boot camp simulator that wasn't completely built yet. Okay. They were just trying to figure out how many people that could get in there safely, where they would stand, stuff like that. So we, I never got to see that. So we're doing the whole mile and spike and we do, you know, you do all that training before that and they put you in that room and they, they go, you know, they go in there and the, the petty officer that's, that's leading that training evolution goes, all right, who's got the worst accent in this division? And we're out, <laughs> A shadow of a doubt, everyone goes, glue! Like, not even, it's like uniform, universal, glue! I'm like, oh. all right, glue, come on down. I'm like, glue, where are you? I put my hand up. Come on down. He goes down, he goes, we speak English? I'm like, listen, you'll understand. He's like, so you have to restart reading the, the things off the board. And of course, he suddenly realizes straight away, oh, yes, he has an accent, but it's an English accent. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> And then I think I read the first, I think it was 10, I had to read the first five. And then they were like, who's got the second worst accent? And like, ah, ah. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So they, this, this very uh, thick Latino, very thick accent Latino girl comes down, a Latina comes down and she speaks. And, and, and it's, you know, by that point, I'm pretty funny. And then, you know, so then, you know, That's I get hilarious. to, you know, we, we get to the, you know, so there's, there's little stories, you know, I heard about girls having crushes on me. Until they found out I was married, uh, and then they wouldn't talk to me. It was always like for the first like for the first two weeks, all these girls, you know, whenever they could, they would talk to me whenever they could. And then they found out I was married, and I didn't get, to, I, they didn't talk to me till like <laughs> week seven. I'm like, what the? whatever. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to. I'm not here looking for, you know. I'm not really looking for a hookup. I'm not. I'm not looking for anything. I'm married. I'm good, you know. And so we ended up. Uh, we ended up like talking. They didn't talk to any of them. Like I said, I'm friends with some of them on Facebook still. And then we end up getting to, you know, we end up getting to the end. And then we, you know, we start getting a lot of uniforms together at the end. And, you know, you know, 
you know, the, the H on two, you know, she calls me down, she gives me my, my three green stripe, my green, you know, my three stripes, my three green ones. And, and I was like, ah, how are you, a, how are you an E3? What did you do? You didn't, you know, cause they're all trying to get brownie points. They're all trying to, you know, cause you know how you can get, you can get stuff, you know, in boot camp. And I'm like, uh, I have a bachelor's degree. Yeah. You have a degree? I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, I end up, you know, I graduate, you know, I graduated from boot camp uh, June twenty third or twenty eighth. I can't remember. Late late June two thousand and six, um, and uh, I end up, you know, we then because it's right bound right by Fourth of July weekend. We end up going over the road to the other side of Great Lakes for two weeks to do a two week course. But because of the Fourth of July and because they get a ninety six. They compressed that down into five days. Uh, and then I ended up uh, after Great Lakes, um, like I say, uh, the hurricane had come through. So Pensacola, Naval Aviation, all the all the rates, they, no matter what you're doing, whether you're going to be an AVH, ABF, uh, aviation undesignated, uh, all the aviation rates, uh, air crew, whatever, you all go down to Pensacola. That's where the big training house is. It's uh, down in Pensacola, Florida. Let and me I, let me yeah. stop you right there yeah. because I, w- I just want to bring it back a little bit. Cool. First of all, your memory is impeccable, and you took me down memory lane. There's some things that I completely forgot that you reminded me of. Yeah. Uh, when you first joined the military, how did your family back home take it? I'm interested in that. Oh, my. My father's side of the family, I don't really talk to them that much. Uh-huh. Uh, since Facebook's come along, uh, I talk to them more. Um, as far as I'm aware, on my dad's side of the family, apart from my step-granddad, no one else has really been in the... I could be wrong, and if my family ever hears this podcast and they want to correct me, please drop me a line. <laughs> but as far as I'm aware, apart from my step-grand... Apart from my step-granddad on my dad's side... Oh, tell me like My dad was in the... Um, uh, my dad was in the, uh, he wasn't in the, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. He wasn't, he was conscripted into the army. So way back when, uh, they got rid of it now, but like the, like the Israeli, like okay. the Israeli, like the Israelis do, uh, but, uh, men, boys, whatever, back then had to do two years. I mean, I think my dad had done two years in the army. So we, you know, and my dad, dad and I don't really talk that much. He's still alive. We talk very infrequently. And that's a, that's a, that's a whole different podcast for that one. So, <laughs> And, but on my mom's side of the family, uh, both my older cousins uh, had joined the British Army. Um, the older one, of the, like, the younger one of the two, uh, the second oldest, he'd gone to. Um, it's kind of like a best way to describe it. It's not. It's not like the Annapolis, or it's like an academy, okay. but it's a way for the enlisted guys to go in like a middle rank. So whereas I had stayed in school to do my A-levels, he went to Sandringham, I believe, to do A-levels and stuff. And he'd done that. He went into the, he went into the, uh, he went into the British Army. Uh, my oldest cousin, he joined the Army. So out of all the cousins, and one of my younger cousins, she's now, she's married to a British squaddy. And then, so that's the cousins. Uh, like I said, my dad did two years in the, in the, as a conscript in the army. So yeah, so my, on my, so on my mom's side of family. And then, you know, getting to, you know, talking to my auntie, um, my 
I think one of my granduncles was in the army, and then uh, 2018 was the hundredth year anniversary of my great granduncle uh, died May 2018 in the First World War. So my family, so when I told my mum, my mum was like, okay, but my mum's always been supportive. So my mum didn't care. She's always been really supportive. <laughs> you know, whenever, when I went to, so when I went to university, she's supportive. When I said, oh, I'm moving to America, she's like, okay, you know, you know, she's sad about it, but we yeah. talk all the time. In fact, I just got the phone call to her today. We were, we were supposed to talk on a Sunday. That's something I've always done. Even when I've been in the military, whenever I've been there a phone on a Sunday at nine o'clock her time, we talk. My dad like I said, maybe really talk to him about it. Yeah. Um, so that, so my mum's always been, my sisters, they don't really care. We're, we're all on our own paths. You know, my siblings, Yeah. Uh, we're, all, we're, we're all in completely, three completely different fields. One's a nurse and the other one works in travel and tourism. You know, we've all gone in separate, we've all gone our separate ways. You know, we pretty much, we haven't tried to, we haven't really, we've all gone our separate ways and that's, you know, that's really good, you know, coming you know, looking at where we started off from and looking at people that we grew up with and what they're doing, and they're like, they're not doing anything. Even to this day, I'm like, really? No. Yeah, my family's always been supportive of me being in the military. They've never never questioned it, like I say. I think my mum, you know, like I say, I think it might have been hard on her because she was used to the phone calls every Sunday. Yeah. So when I deploy, you know, that's rough. Um, yeah. But I tried to I tried to call her, you know, whenever, whenever I was you know, near a phone, I'd call her, and then when I was out with, like, say, with your girlfriend back in 2012 on the Ike, I would call home once a month, you know, because you can use the, uh, the the dial-up phones on the on the ship, but they're super yeah. expensive. So it'd be like a once a month five-minute phone call at nine o'clock, which was always fun because <laughs> you're always you're always in different time zones. Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now on the podcast, I'd like to bring up special sailor moments and the first one i'd like to bring up is the uh, the ball cap ceremony for boot camp when i graduated yes. boot camp we did the uh, we switched from the recruit yep. ball cap yep. to the to navy, the navy. Ball cap. Yep. did the same thing in 06 i was super emotional at that time uh i was one of the 17 year olds going through boot camp so like okay. that, at that time that was like a really uh different experience for me so i was super yeah. emotional at that time how, how how was your experience all right so that morning you know, that morning had been pretty rough. Actually, it'd been, so we did battle stations. You know, you know how it is. It's a, it's a 48 hour evolution. You get up, you know, day one, you get up, at, you know, Revel is at zero six. You get up, you get up, you know, you have breakfast. You pretty much just sat around. We didn't do that much. We had breakfast, you know, you know, uh, Barbosa, who would then become our A-Rock. Um, he was like, you know, every hour, on the hour, hydrate, you know, so well, I'm to hydrate, because we know it's coming, mm -hmm. you know it's coming, so, you know, and then, like, was it six, seven o'clock that night, we move over to the female, we get all our stuff ready, we move over to the female house, we all sat there, you know, crisscross applesauce, you know, in our t-shirts, shorts, white t-shirts, shorts, uh, sneakers, and socks, and we're ready to go, we all sat there, ready to go, the RDC comes in, you have to run around, get dressed, and then um, because you know into June it's still light. So, do you want to talk about battle stations? It's probably I, changed now. Yeah. But okay. or do you want to talk about that? Or do you want to talk about well, so well, so we have we have battle stations. We run through the night. It's not too bad. We have a couple of a couple of uh, stragglers with her. 
with us. Uh, so we had this one female with us. And so, you know, you have to carry around the sea bags with everyone's wet gear in from the swimming evolution, uh-huh. which unlucky for us was first. So we're running around. I pretty much carry her bag all night. It's just her bag with just her swimming gear in. So I'm just carrying that all night. So no one questions me about, you know, you have to swap the bag. So we do that all night. We get to that morning. So we're down to our penultimate event which is the uh, dragon carry. Remember the whole going through the gravel, okay, all yeah. the holes and stuff. You can't touch the walls. You can't do all that. Yep. So we get to that and it's getting into the morning and they're like, oh, we've got, I don't know who it is. I'm going to butcher their name. I'm going to call him Admiral Smuckatelli. You know, <laughs> Admiral Smuckatelli, you know, the, you know, the uncle of, you know, Seaman Smuckatelli, you know, second cousin to, you know, Chief you know, Smuckatelli. And he's coming in. He wants to see you. He wants to see this evolution start. Okay, cool. So it's literally like 5.30 in the morning, whatever. It's early in the morning. I remember it being dark when we got there. And we all sat there, you know, and we have to be on one knee. So we're sat there. And we're sat there. And it's like 20 minutes goes by. Because we can see the clock. Because you, know, you don't have a watch. Everyone's watching knees. It's starting, you know, it's starting to really drag. Like, wow, wow, we're not near a long time. Anyway, this anyway, it gets to like, I want to say quarter past six, quarter past seven. I don't know what time it is. I've got forgotten what time it was. It gets to, anyway, it gets to about quarter past the hour. And this animal finally shows up. And of course, the admiral, the 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 the, the RDC, the first class, whatever that's running that particular evolution, goes into all their spiel. Like how we save the man, we rescue everyone, we you know we you know we work as a team. Really hyped up, and then we start. And of course, you're going through all the holes. You're dragging the you're dragging the the the, the stretchers, you know, and you've only got a certain amount of time to do it. So we get all that, and we get that done, and we don't make it to the, we make it almost to like the last the last room, you know, because then you've got two teams going in opposite directions. So you end up meeting in that one tunnel that's really small. So we get all done with that and we're like, all right, cool. And then we're like, all right, we need to get to the firefighting, which is the last evolution. And so where in that, so where that gravel, that, at that point, that was kind of in the middle of the base. It was kind of, I remember where it was. It was in the middle of the base, kind of where the uh, pass and grad building is. It's in that area. So we're like, all right, so now we've got to get to firefighting, which is all the way on the bottom of the base, under the bridge, running through the tunnel, running down. And we, like I say, we've got an integrated division. And and we had, so we have to, they're like, okay, you need to run. And it's not like the rest of the night we've been doing a nice, steady, you know, a nice, steady jog. You know, we've, we've been running, but we haven't been sprinting. We've just been jogging. We've been at a nice pace. No, the RDC that's at the front just takes off. And we're like, what? So we're trying to keep up. We're dragging those sea bags. We're pulling them. And we're dragging them. And of course, we like I say, we're an integrated division. So almost immediately, we start to get stretched out. And so, of course, when the RDC looks back and sees we're getting stretched out, starts running circles. They want to catch up. So, of course, by the time those last girls, are, you know, they're not – remember I said they were older? A lot yeah. of older – my division was older – a lot of old, so we've got, you know, we've got older, you know, we haven't got 19 year olds. We did have 19 year olds and that's how I did my PFA because I knew that if I ran half a lot faster than the 19 year old females, I would pass my PFA. And that's what I did. Actually, I ended up, I ended up actually almost lapping them. That's how I passed my PFA run. Anyway, so we're sprinting to get from there to the, so we're sprinting. I'm like, well, what is going on? Like, because like, we have to get there to this firefighting. And we get there and we, we eventually get there. We like, Sprinting across, 
it's been across Great Lakes. We get in there, and you know how there's is it six teams that we had? There was four teams, and there's no, five teams already there. And my, my, my lot is the last ones to show up. And they're all smoking and coking it because they've been sat there for about half an hour, 45 minutes. They're all smoking and coking it. They're all laughing and joking, getting ready for firefighting. And then we roll it. Sweat's running down everyone's faces. The girls are crying. And they're like, <laughs> what happened to these guys? Like, literally, I remember walking in, looking up, and I've just got sweat just running down my face. The girls, girls are crying because you know they're you know because we've been sprinting you know all you know we've been doing this all night and also we have to sprint, rolling we do firefighting, get that done, and then we go to that recruit then we go to that graduation ceremony. I'm like oh thank God that's over and then you know uh, we do that and there's people crying. I was I was like okay cool all right I'm great. <laughs> I'm like because at this point I'm like I'm not I didn't cry. I'm like all right cool I'm swapping hats. I'm finally a sailor. Woo hoo. You know? <laughs> And there's people crying, people losing it. And then we go to that breakfast. So, yeah, the recruit, the, 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 the switch. And also how you treated what's what, And what was nice about that was how you were treated as well. Yeah. By Because, you know, if you had to independently sail, uh, you know, if you had to go to dental or medical or whatever by yourself, and you had that Navy ball cap on, the uh, RDCs that were, you know, mooching, that were marching around the P-Day sailors, or the, 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 you know, week six sailors, week five sailors, week four sailors, they were like, afternoon shit, mate. And as it was like, you know, you know, rather than recruit, you know, it was nice. And so that cap, you know, did me a lot. But uh, yeah, that was, so that, that, that was great. You know, we did that whole, you know, and then we went and had breakfast. Yeah. You know, and, and then we're listening to the podcast. Yes, we have not been to sleep yet. We've been running, marching through the night. We have not been asleep. So we're going to have yeah. that brunch. And that was the first time that we were allowed that we were allowed to actually talk to each other. Yeah. You know, like the, the males had all talked to each other. But it was the first time that we could actually really interact with the females. We never yeah. really interacted with them. We you know if we did, it was, you know, kind of like, you know, wasn't, you know, you couldn't actually sit down and talk to them. And so we ended up, you know, I ended up sitting, we ended up sitting like, all in little groups and we all moved around, we all talked to each other and it was a lot more easier. I actually got to talk to my uh, HM2, I got to talk to her a lot more. Do you remember and, your first meal after boot camp? Uh, it was some, uh, it was some, no, I honestly don't. I honestly don't remember. We went, so my, I was a grad and go, uh, my mother-in-law and ex-wife, well, ex-mother-in-law and ex-wife come and grab me from the other side of the road. Mm-hmm. They grabbed me, and then we went, I think we went to some diner or something. I can't remember. It was some diner right by the hotel is where yeah. we went. So that was, that was I, remember, I remember we went to a diner, went to that breakfast place. There was, a, there was this breakfast place that the RDCs kept, kept going on about. We ended up going there. It's a pretty good, I remember it being a pretty good breakfast. That was on the... Uh, I thought it was on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning before they dropped yeah. me off. Um, so we know that that boot camp, like you said, was just meant to break you down so they could build you up. It doesn't mirror fleet life whatsoever. Now as you're getting to um, go through training and then eventually the fleet, what kind of uh, preconceptions or were you feeling? Well, I, I think what, it, what I mean by break it down, it does, it does teach you, you know, you, you get taught that you have to fold your clothes a certain way or else, else there'll be repercussions. And I, you know, everyone kind of negates that. For me, I think the reason why they do that, you know, they may, they might make you do everything a certain way, is because you've got to learn how yeah. to fix. You know, you was an FC, so I remember, 
you have to you have to fix your you have to read the pubs. You can't you can't just do it from memory. And I was in naval aviation. Yeah. You can't just go and fix something, you know, because this thing is going to go flying. Yeah. You're putting the lives of the pilots, the air crew in your hand. You're telling that pilot that an aircraft is good to go, that you've yeah. made no mistakes, that you've safety wired everything, that you've accounted for all your tools, all that fun stuff. And uh, so they break you down. So they, they, they realize that if you don't do as you're told, there's going to be serious repercussions. So getting out to the fleet, um, uh, the fleet, actually, the, the Jacksonville, my, my story of Jacksonville kind of helps me out with the fleet. Yeah. So I, once again, I was really lucky. So like I said, Barbosa, uh, Sotomayor, the girl I can't remember, and Mendes Mauricio, we all go down to A school. And we end up meeting with... Uh, some more guys that had graduated uh, boot camp the same that we'd actually knew by sight because they'd been in the two weeks with us, but we never really hung out with uh, Campos, Liao, and uh, a couple of other guys. I want to say Smith, yeah, Smith, and some other guys that had graduated. So we all graduated boot camp on the same day. We all flew down to Jacksonville uh, at the same time, different planes, but more or less on the same day. Uh, and then we ended up meeting a bunch of kids, a bunch of other guys, another bunch of other guys. That had been that had been there for a week or two. I think they'd been there for a week. They graduated the week prior to us, and so we all get classed up. And so now you've got, I want to say, fifteen sailors, fourteen fresh out boot camp, and a fleet returnee who was a third class. He'd been frocked to AM three, but had never gone through A school. Once you know, when they when they're trying to figure out who's the class leader, I've got my A rock sat right next to me because pretty much they put it in alphabetical order as well. So I got my A, you know, it's about you know, it's like well, and like they go through like who's going to be the class leader. So I'm like, nope, don't want to do it. Don't want to be the class leader. I don't want to be the class leader. I'm not interested. Doesn't interest me at all. So like, all right, everyone stand up. All right, uh, if you're not you know, 18, sit down. 19, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. Oh, I know where this is going. 24, and I'm the only one stood up. I'm like, oh. all right. Glue, how old are you? 28. Right, you're the class leader. So I ended up being the class leader for that entire, what, six-week evolution. And I am literally having to teach them how to do math. I remember, I remember this one point, I'm having to teach them how to do math. Because <laughs> they'd all forgotten how to do math. Like, how long have you guys been out of high school? Yeah. <laughs> like I graduated university back in 2001. Why, why am I teaching you how to do long division? Why am I teaching you how to do, you know, multiplication? You know, it's because they tell you the calculators. I was too, but I'd, you know, growing up in school in England, it gets beaten into you how to do long division, how to, how to do, you know, big number multiplication and stuff. That's, uh, the American education system for you. Uh, I, I'm not going to, so I'm literally like, I'm, I'm passing the test. I'm like, I'm studying for the test. You know, uh, one of the kids, um, my first, so a school stories, uh, one of the kids found out that his mom had cancer and it was going to be our first weekend that we were going from phase one to phase two Liberty. And he was going to have drill Dewey that weekend. So they're like, I, right, uh, we need someone to take his drill weekend and no one put his hand up. I'm like, Oh, I'm the class leader. I'll do it. So I ended up doing his drill weekend. I got hooked up because like, I got I got hooked, you know, because the, the, the instructors were like, ah, you know, you're phase two, you know, phase one, you can't leave the base. Phase two, you can leave the base, but you have to come back. And then phase three, you know, once you're dismissed, dismissed on a Friday, you don't have to show up until Monday morning unless you've mm -hmm. got 
you know, unless you've got duty. So he ends up going back to Georgia real quick, seeing his mum, whatever, comes back. Uh, I'm really lucky in A-School. I, get, I end up being in a barracks room with a guy at one of the VP squadrons. Well, there's an incident. So the schoolhouse commander says, I want all the fleet returnees out of the barracks, this particular wing of the barracks, the only students are in there. So he ends up getting kicked out. So I end up having a barracks room pretty much for the, because I was there for A school and C school. So I was there from July to uh, beginning of October. And only right at the end did I get a barracks roommate. So I'm in a, I'm in a two-man room all by myself. It's great. So, you know, I get to, you know, we go through A school. I end up the final weekend of A school. And the instructors are always, all the way through the school are like, the last test is what makes and breaks. The last test is what makes and breaks. And I'm, I'm sat in second, Leal sat in third, and Cokes is in first. Coke, this kid called Cokes is with me and him are just neck and neck. We're getting like 96, anywhere between 92 and 98 and hundreds on the test. Just neck and neck. And he's, he's beating me. He's got me. He's got me by a few percentage points. Get to the final test. Um, so at that point, you know how you uh, you get to start picking orders. Well, you know the instructors send out the paperwork. Oh, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go at orders? And I'm like, you know, San Diego, Whitby Island, Jacksonville, Florida. And so right before the test, and there's a bunch of issues going on. We're having power issues. You know, so school's getting cancelled. You know, we're literally we walk in one day and the schoolhouse is out of power. So we're sat there for a day. You know, so they. They're kind of getting up in it. We're doing, uh, we're losing power. We're, we're having to do all our CGE screenings as well. So they're trying to get the last of the classes done that they have to get done for the final test. And the final test keeps getting pushed back. You know, it's originally scheduled for the Friday. Then it gets pushed back to the Monday. Then it gets pushed back to the Tuesday. And then eventually it gets pushed back to Wednesday morning. And so there's a reason why I talk about it. So that weekend is my Dewey weekend, so I can't go anywhere. So I sit there, I have watch, I have Dewey. I'm like, so I just study the entire weekend. You know, we have a couple more classes, you know, everyone's trying to get everything sorted out. And it gets to Wednesday morning, no, Tuesday morning, because we used to have PT Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Tuesday morning, I come in, I've got my C duty screen in that morning. So rather than go into the naval heritage class that we have first thing before we go to school i get out of that because i've already got like a permission like yeah you're on the list go and do the test run over to see duty screening get that done come back well the reason why i'm talking about the orders was we'd i can't remember if they had or they hadn't but coat was getting sent to japan mm-hmm. yeah he was going to japan in a hs in a helicopter squadron two of the guys who didn't really like each other found out they were going to the same VAW squadron in Japan um, Barbosa Campos Furlick and myself were all going to this squadron that no one heard about HSC 22 Gree was going to HSC 2084 83 sorry uh, and then that girl who I can't remember she was going to HSC 25 over in Guam so there's a reason why I'm talking about this because at that point Coke's died was like not happy. So that weekend, 
you know, I was drilled. I had duty, so I can go anywhere. Him and a bunch of the other guys went out and pied it up. Oh. I, I wasn't there. I was not there. I just heard the stories. He got admin out of the Navy. Uh, failure to adapt to Navy life. Now they can get you out if you don't. If, and I've seen it happen. Get admin separation in the first year. Yeah, I've seen it. Ha- I've actually seen it happen. Uh, that was a, and I was kind of, kind of part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't my. I I report. I had to write a report on him. That was, and we can talk about. That's another sea story. That's a bad sea <laughs> story, and it, it happened. Uh, and the guys who listen to this podcast, the women at HSC HS five on the 2013, know who I'm talking about, and they know <laughs> the incident. So, um, uh, uh, so he comes in that Tuesday, hasn't studied, gets a 72 on the test, which is barely a passing. So Lial knows, and by the way, this kid had already asked me to kind of fall on the, you know, fall on my sword and not do one of the tests. And my attitude has always been, it's me versus the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The test, you have the same test I do. How much, how much do you want this? You know yeah. what I mean? If you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me fair and square. You know what I mean? It's me versus the test. It's not me versus you. It's you versus the test. Who can do best on this? It's a fair test. It's the same questions. So I end up, so I end up going, taking the test, running off to get my C-duty screen in. Um, I come back. Lial already knows that he's got like a 92 or a 93. So he knows that he's already jumped ahead of Cokes in the final standards. He's trying to be first because first you get that paperwork for automatic adv- for ad- uh, advancement to the next pay grade. Okay. And he was an e- I think he was an E2 at the time. So he's trying to get that E3. I come back and uh, I come back and he's like, he sees me and goes, oh, what'd you get, Blue? What'd you get? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Um, by this point, they've tested everyone else. And they're now starting to talk about, talk to the, the, the sailors that haven't, that have made less than 70, you know, because they have to reset it. Because you have to get a 70 to pass. So they're talking to them. So I kind of wait, you know, kind of stand by. I'm in like the little student coffee bar area. I'm like, oh, and then finally someone says, oh, they're all out of there. You can go and talk to them to find out what you get. So I go in there and they're like, uh, petty officer, you know, petty officer, I can't remember what his name was. There was and I go in and I ask for my results and they're like, Oh, you got a 96. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, so I'm top of the class then. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right, cool. Like, cause by this point, like, yeah, Coates barely, you know, they, I don't know, they didn't tell me, but Coates told me he got a 72. Yeah. And they all got a low nineties. So I ended up being top of the class. So I was like, so when we do our graduation ceremony, I get head of the, I got class leader certificate, appreciation being a class leader. I get, um, and I get the meritorious advancement. You know, you don't get advanced. You know, you get you get a piece of paperwork saying you can advance because you got that you know paperwork, and you can't advance until you've been at your first command for a certain amount of time. Yeah, you need the time in rate or whatever. Yeah, so it's like you have to be you have to be you have to be you have to be your first command for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So I've got that in my back pocket. So like I say, so we roll on to C school. So now we roll to C school. And it's a helicopter sea school, so it's right there down in Jacksonville, Florida. I end up uh, uh, there's an AM2 Williams, and there's another guy who I've actually met a few times back up in Norfolk. It was really funny. I'm like, hey, weren't you an instructor down in Jacksonville? Yeah, I'm like you taught me. Oh, I did. Oh, snap. <laughs> you know. And um, so we end up going to we end up going to sea school. And so, because we've already got our orders, I already know that I'm going to my first squadron. I'm going with Barbosa, Campos, Furlick, and myself. 
So, like I said, Barbosa was my bunk camp buddy for two nights and was my A-Rock as well. He's a second, the assistant recruit, chief, petty officer, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's the number two in the division. So, I know that I'm going to my first squadron. I know one of the guys really well. And Ferlick, I know her and I know Campos because we've been in air school together. So, I'm like, sweet. I'm, going, I'm not going somewhere where I don't know anyone. But we end up going to C school. We end up meeting far more people. Uh, Barnes, who was a second class at the time. Uh, Chen, who was a Chinese kid. Price and Bush. And so I end up meeting those guys. So we do C school. And C school, there's nothing in it for C school. I just sit there. I learn how to use the pubs. We graduate C school. Uh, there's an incident with what causes my wife to become my ex-wife. Oh. So I end up... I end up driving, I end up flying back to Utah, grabbing as much stuff as I can in my Jeep and then driving from Salt Lake City, Utah to uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And of course, when I get to North Virginia, I walk into the squadron, I walk into the airframe shop, and it's like, because <laughs> there's seven people in there that I just spent the last five, you know, either the last couple of, uh, last three, or in the case of Barbosa, the last six months. Yeah. And in the case of, you know, Furlick and Campos, uh, the last, you know, since July, and then Barnes, Price, Bush, and Chen, I'd spent with them. I'd spent the last, uh, you know, two months with them, so they knew all about me. So when I show up, and that's half the shop as well, because it was a, it was a. So HS, so when we got our orders, like HSC twenty two, where's that? And it's like, welcome on your orders to HSC twenty two. Please report when directed to this building. It's like SP three eighty six, which is a reserve building. Like, yeah. Uh, my, my instructors were like, uh, we don't know where HSC-22 is. We've got one report that they Googled that said there was a brand new squadron that was getting formed up in October 06. So this is in July. I get orders to a squadron that isn't even formed yet. Isn't even, you know, done the welcome ceremony, you know, the uh, whatever ceremony is, whether, you know, where they do all the uh, stand-up. They haven't done the stand-up yet. I've got orders to it. So... so yeah. Let let me stop you right there because um yeah. I want I want I want you to explain some things to me because yeah. you're talking about a world that I am unfamiliar with. Okay. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about how there's a like five different areas to the navy that make up the navy. There's seamen, submariners. We've um, got surface, subsurface, aviation, and seabees. Exactly. Can you ex now? Obviously, I'm pretty much surface as far as you could go. My rating, my specific yeah. job had me specifically to just CGs and DDGs, so I know nothing about the air department. Can you yeah. explain to me how squadrons work quickly? All right, so you have, you have many, many, many different squadrons. You've got the squadrons that put uh, warheads on foreheads, mm -hmm. so that would be your, um, so that's your VFAs, F-18s. You know, they're the ones that drop bombs, um, perform, uh, you know, air-to-air -air intercepts, you know, they, they're the ones that put warheads on forwards. You've also got uh, their VFAs. You've also got VAQ squadrons. Um, they're the ones that are like electronic warfare. Okay. So they they used to fly EA, E6B prowlers. They, uh, over the last four or five years, have converted over to F-18G growlers. Uh, these are very lightly armed F-18s. They can carry a couple of weapons, but they mainly carry uh, uh, pods that pretty much interfere with cell phones, radar, 
mess up, pretty much mess up the, the enemy's um, uh, electrical. This no, this is a secret. You can go on Wikipedia. This yeah. this is all out there. This is you know the this is what this is what we do. We go out and this is what we do. You know, and we they don't they're not going to tell you how they do it. They just tell you this is what we do. We pretty much mess with the um, mess with the enemy's radars and communications and stuff like that. So then you've got we'll keep going down the fixed wing line. You've then got your VAW squadrons. They're your, your airborne early warning systems for the carriers. They're twin engine. They've got the radar dome on top. They okay. pretty much they pretty much the they're the pretty much they they go up there usually the second or third aircraft of the carrier they go up and they give they're like the airborne commanders they can control assets in the air they give the uh the carrier you know rather than it's you know like you know, you're a surface guy because the carrier can only see to the horizon even on the radar mm-hmm. so after 12 13 miles because of the curvature of the earth people can hide behind the curvature of the earth mm-hmm. so with an aircraft going up it then gives the uh the carrier uh, a greater distance to see uh closely tied to them is the c2 uh so they fly e they fly e2 c's and d's you've got the c2 which is your carrier onboard delivery very similar aircraft same engines same flight the the pilots almost come down the same flight line they they right now they're currently flying the c2 which is a very old very old plane um it's currently coming to the end of its life and they're transitioning to the v22 and then you've got your c40s you've got various other uh aircraft in the uh in the naval aviation that essentially just move people around so you've got your c12s which is a small plane you've got your c40s which is pretty much your boeing 737 800 um, you did have the P3s. They pretty much gone away. They were your anti-submarine warfare tracking, oh, okay. uh, and then they've been replaced by replaced replaced by the P8, the Poseidon, which is pretty much uh, again a Boeing 737 hybrid is the best way to describe it. Uh, and then you get into your ordinary wing, which is what I was in. Um, you've got uh, essentially you've got two helicopters. Well, technically now three. You've got the 60, um, which uh, when I was in, I got to work on the Sierra. Then I got to go work on the Foxtrot Hotel. They got rid of those, and pretty much they then went to the uh, Sierra and the Romeo. Uh, the Sierra looks just like the Black Hawk. It's, you know, if you're not, if you could very easily mistake a a Sierra for a Black Hawk, a Path Hawk, unless, unless you grew up and worked on those helicopters, you can straight away go, that's a Sierra. I'm like, how do you know? I'm like, <laughs> I used to be pretty good. I could tell you even which one it was. Oh, that's a Block 1, that's a Block 2, that's a Block 3, that's a Block 3 Bravo, that's a Block 1 Plus. I'm like, how do you know? I'm like, because I worked on all of them. There's the very, you're looking at, you then, you're then looking at the antennas, you're looking at the, the stub wings, you're looking at various little things and you can tell you, you can tell what it was if it got changed if it got converted those are the little ones and then you've also got your big 53s um i have got to play around with those uh when i got out of when i got out of working on helicopters i then had to go and inspect those helicopters um 53s uh they're the big ones they were supposed to go away uh they haven't they're still flying and then you've got which was as i was getting out of uh, O-level HSC-22, you've now got the uh, the Sea Scout, which is your little um, 
the little drone, the little helicopter drone. You've got your carrier squadrons. That's where the entire carrier goes to see, uh, the entire squadron. Computers, hazmat, personnel, files, everything goes to sea. From the skipper, from the CO, to the check-in, to the brand new check-in, you know, Seaman Smuckatelli, or Emma Smuckatelli, who checked in Monday morning and we're leaving Friday, everyone goes to sea. Second type of squadron is your detachment squadron. So like that, that VRC squadron, they are detachments. So pretty much what they do, detachment squadrons, is they go out as a detachment. So you have an OIC, so you have an officer in charge, mm -hmm. a couple of pilots, maybe a maintenance officer, so a non-flying officer. And okay. then you typically have, you know, you know, one L you know, one LS, one PS. If they haven't got if they, you know, you'll have an LPO and then you'll have typically three, depending on what kind of depending on what kind of detachment it is, if they go into a particular kind of ship where they're gonna work where they're gonna work twelve on, twelve off all the time, then they might have two of each rate. That's the test. So they go out but they do all kinds of weird different missions. You could be out on a on a gator, so just like the Bonham Rashad that we know because she's been in the news. So that's a gator. So you could have a detachment on there, you know, or you could go on a supply ship and do, you know, send them on the supply ship. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they do. They go on detachments. They go and do workups. You know, if someone pops up like Haiti did in 2010, they set up a super detachment. They had three or four helicopters. They got on the, honestly, the town or the Kearsage and went down to Haiti. So they were doing, you know, that, that one, they had like a super depth, you know, they had like 60, 60, 65, 80 people. I can't remember. Oh, wow. They took a, they took a lot of, well, cause it took four helicopters. Yeah. That's how they figure it out. It's like, how many maintainers do we need? So for one helicopter, we need this many people, For two helicopters, we need this many people, mm -hmm. you know? And then the last squadron, which is the rag squadron. The rag squadron is where all the pilots go to learn how to fly that particular mate model of aircraft. So these, so those commands tend to be big. It's also where a lot of sailors go for shore duty. If that makes sense. So that's yeah. our shore, That's a big shore duty bit. So uh, I got a, I'm working on a second podcast. It's geared yeah. more towards sea stories, and um, yeah. I got. I got my strike team. They were the first ones to shoot for the Iraq roar before I got there in 2003. Yeah. And I had three of them on the podcast and they explained the events. So I wonder if you'd be able to get a couple of your, of your uh, service members for the drug ops and tell some drug ops stories. That'd be kind of cool to do. Well, there's not really much to tell because we was only out there for six weeks, but we did yeah. so much in six weeks. Exactly. Because uh, well, we had we had Coast Guards on board that shut out the engines, uh, but we were pretty much all we did was, you know, the radar would pop up, and the ship I was on could go faster than the go fast boat, so we could catch them. So with a helicopter, and with a ship, that's how we were catching them. We had two Panamanian officers on board, and so we just pretty much like chased them down, and if they ran away, we'd chase them. Uh, there was a Coast Guard sniper took out one of their engines. That was, pretty, yeah. that, was a, that was a fun night. And another night, they just dumped all the cocaine and ran. Because <laughs> we, we were the new kid in town. Uh, this was right after Haiti. So the earthquake in Haiti had happened. So all the U.S. All the U.S. naval, they would all run up to Haiti to help out. So 
I bet they thought it was like, oh, free for all. And then we show up. You know, there's a couple of Coast Guard cutters in that area. But then we show up. We've got a Coast Guard flag on board. We've got a Panamanian flag on board. So we're just doing drug ops off the coast of Colombia and Panama. And we do four drug ops. And then we end up going through the Panama Canal, which is pretty cool. And then we do get to San Diego, get stuck in San Diego, get to hang out with our sister squadron, HSC-23, which is pretty cool. So we roll in there and they're like, HSC-22? And then we get the, the California, how night and day California is compared to Norfolk, uh, or Coronado. And then we ran out to uh, Rimpac, which is pretty cool. So we got to do a lot of cool stuff at, uh, you know, that second deployment. We got, so the, easy, the easiest deployment, I think, was the first one on the supply ship. But the more fun deployment was the second one. But the, like I say, back to the first deployment. Um, I know you can ask me this question, my first deployment. So my line was going to be, was the best of times, it was the worst of times. So... <laughs> We do, and there's probably going to be people on this podcast, and you can look them up. Uh, we do, so we, we, we leave in November, November, I'll say, November 3rd, November 5th. We drive up to New Jersey, we pick up the ship, go across the Atlantic, through the Med, do multiple part visits in the Med. We get down, we, we're with the Truman Battle Group, uh, we do everything, and, you know, it's now getting into March, we're getting into April, we're like, all right. You know, after this, after this, pulling, I'm going to pull into Dubai. We're going to be in Dubai for three days, and then we're pulling out for five days, and then we're back in Dubai to load up with stars, and then we're leaving. We're we're heading home, and then the Truman's going to stick around for a little bit, and then she's going to play catch up. You know, so that we go through the Suez Canal together. Uh, once we get through the Suez Canal, uh, we're going to offload we're going to offload the uh, military weapons guys we're going to offload those guys they're going to go back to Suda Bay or wherever they came from uh, we, we already kind of know the plan when we when we're leaving we're, you know we're you know pretty much like we're, we're, we're leaving everyone's like great awesome so getting forward to this you know and I'll never forget this this is this is this this has actually become kind of one of my mantras in life you know you said how, how the Navy's uh, how the Navy has affected your life. This is this all go down with me of what happened, what was what one person said. So I get up, get a shave, throw my coveralls on, go down to the go down to uh, get breakfast. We don't have to muster, you know. We're not, you know. I I've done everything. Eat. They're like, oh, I'll go back to sleep for a little bit, and then maybe jump on the computer maybe go to the bar a little bit later on. So get up. I'm, I'm, I get back in the bed and I'm probably asleep for 20 minutes. I'm just drifting off to sleep and my chief comes in. I can hear him banging around. Get up, get up quarters, 15 minutes. And I, apparently he'd walked in, gone to a rack, opened up fair curtains, there was no one there, gone to another rack, there was no one else there. And then he was just pissed off because he couldn't find anyone. Opens the bed from his curtains, Kind of irate. That's how I remember it. Get up, quarters, fifteen minutes. We go downstairs and we, you know, we form it all up. What's going on? And the only time we'd ever done that before was when someone had messed up. And there'd been a couple of, you know, there'd been a couple of incidences of people messing up. You know, Mr. Bricky, let's recommend Bricky. Always said, look, been little instances of people messing up, you know, not getting back by curfew. You know how the Navy is, punish one. You know, if one messes up, everyone gets punished or everyone gets a talking to. Yep. 
it's a werewolf, you know, in quarters. And I'll never forget this. And whilst they're there, we're all laughing and joking. Ha, oh, who messed up? You know, not a care in the world, you know. We're going to move on to the fuel pier. We're going to go out for five days. We're going to be back in Dubai. Then we're going home. It's great. And I'll never forget what happened. So, one in the hangar bay. And the maintenance control was up on the uh, mezzanine level. And I remember Mr. Bricky coming out of the mezzanine door, looks down, sees us all lined up, sees us all lined up, walks back in. We can see where he's going because he's going to come down the stairs and then he pops out the other door which is where the hangar is and he walks out and the AIC is behind him and I think uh, Chief's behind him and I think uh, Chief Smith was behind him as well because all the all the first classes are on the boat are stood to the side all the E5 and below all stood there and I'll never forget what he says he goes how am I going to say this and I'm like oh shit who screwed up he goes, and he just lays it out. He goes, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna come out of it. He goes, at 1:15 this morning, M and Campos died. And like, what? 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 Huh? What the? What the hell? But, you know, this is you know, M and you know, Adrian Campos died. And I'm like, oh shit. And I mean, I saw this podcast. And I wanted to talk about Adrian Campos. He was a, he was a great kid. And like I say, we graduated. And like I said, that's why I kept mentioning Campos, Barbosa, Furlick. You know. You know, those guys. And that's why I mentioned Campos's name. Like, this kid, I had no... We'd graduated boot camp together. We weren't in the same division. We were in uh, different divisions. And I actually went back and actually looked at my boot camp graduation video. And he's there. You can see him. He's, like, two divisions behind me on passing grad. You know, they like saying, you know, people always, you know, when people say, what was the worst day in the Navy? That's number one. Yeah. But it's a very close number two. And we can talk about that as well, if you want. Um, but that was... It. And I, I never forget. So that point on... so. Lieutenant Commander Bricky, whenever I've had to go and tell someone or do something that's absolutely sucked, you know, like, just do it. He come down, he tells us, you could have heard a pin drop. People are crying. Because we now, remember, is we've been we've been together for almost a year at this point, maybe 10 months. We've done workups together, you know. I don't know. Campos had got in trouble right before we got on deployment, but he still came with us. You know, we took care of him, you know. And uh, yeah, he he'd gone to a hotel. Him and two of the two of the guys on our deck that were now getting questioned by the Dubai police had gone to a hotel. And the story that I got, and this could be true, false, indifferent, was that him and the two other sailors. He was the junior sailor. They'd gone out. They'd gone. They'd been drinking in the bar. Gone back to the hotel room. Lights had gone out, and somehow he'd woken up in the middle of the night, got out of the hotel room, was still inebriated, and was banging on hotel doors. And of course, you know, people are angry because he, he didn't remember what room he was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, end up getting chased, and then end up trying to jump across a balcony or something, and end up falling five floors. Oh my god! And so, and that was that was so. You know, this is a kid that I've graduated boot camp with. Not only, like I say, one in the same division, but same day. I'd gone to A school with, C school with, same squadron, same, you know, we'd gone out on deployment together. And that was rough. That was, that was probably, that was like, you know, it's like, so, you know, I talk about that being my best deployment. It was an awesome deployment up until that day. And it, yeah. you could have, that day is probably, I think it is the worst day of my naval career. You know, April, 
probably going to scoop the date. I want to say it's April 22nd, 23rd, 24th. And it was right close to his birthday as well. That sucked even more. It's yeah. like a few days before his birthday. And he's he's buried now down in uh, El Paso, Texas. And it is one of, the, one of the things on my bucket list to go to his grave. Because I, you know, I never got to say goodbye. Yeah. That's that was pretty rough, you know. And you know, I'm I'm part of the uh, you know the HSC 22 you know Facebook page, and you know every year his picture will get posted, you know, when he passed away, you yeah. know, and it hit it hit everyone hard because he was well liked, you know, he was like the you know he was like the deck joker, you know, he was, um, I can I can describe him if I was to say I'm gonna say he was probably a, uh, who's that funny comedian special. Like a, imagine like a thinny, a thinner version of him. He was just he was always cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. He was the he was the life of the party. You know, what I mean, he was he was a fun guy to be around. He, I, I still to this day I'll say he's the best. He was the best. He could screw in panels. Like you'd be having trouble trying to get the soundproofing in the in the aircraft, and he'd come along, and ten seconds later it's all in. Like I, I couldn't get that screw in. How did you get that screw in? Like ah, you know, like you know. Come on, you know, and uh, so that was that was a that was a rough that was a rough uh, that was a rough. So that you know, we, you know, we get we you know, we're that point where we're getting ready to come home. Everyone's excited to come home. Everyone's getting ready to come home, and then just to have that win, just not you know, this this, this yeah. guy that we've spent, you know, I personally spent that I met, you know, in A school, you know, I sat, yeah. you know, next to, you know, we've done study groups, we have, you know, we've we've been together, you know, we you know we done sea school together we'd gone to the same squadron we'd done you know i don't think we did any work but he'd done this deployment with us you know we're getting ready to go home and then that happens you know what i mean and it was rough you know and you know and of course you know we find out at like eight o'clock in the morning it's like hey you guys can't you guys can't you know so we find out so it's what seven eight o'clock our time it happened at one two o'clock in the morning so dubai time so we find out six hours later Six, seven hours later, and they're like, you cannot call home. No emails, don't call home, because you got to remember, is Dubai is uh, however many hours ahead. Yeah. It's 12, nine, nine hours ahead of, it's, no, yeah, it's five, nine hours ahead of the East Coast. So it's still midnight, midnight, early hours of the morning. And uh, I later found out that the, um, uh, one of the ITs find out found out about it because she got she got a, a a message that you know she got a message that she had to go in to get a message for the skipper you know so they you know they they find out stuff before anyone else so she's like you know what <laughs> I got a message for the skipper and that's how she found out about it when yeah. she when she had to get hold of the skipper and say hey uh, Emma Campos has passed away. You know, so that was that was a rough. So that that deployment, and, and it was really it was really bad because even like I said, the the remember I talked about the the guys who used to serve us food and stuff, it hit them as well because he was a well liked guy. Yeah, you know, he was you know he was he was a awesome he was an awesome kid, and I later found out he met third because we got home because we got so we so you know this happy joyous you know getting home is now sucks because we're coming back we got in trouble as well they were a little upset because we took a, a final we took i've got a picture i got a copy of it we took a final debt because we kept swapping out personnel so you know we took like three or four debt pictures mm-hmm. and um, the final debt picture we took his float coat and hung it up on the uh mm. on the rescue hoist and you know 
people got in trouble for that. Like, why? What? Like, no, come on, guys. You know. So yeah, that was a. So that that was a. That was probably my roughest day. And that was you know after that fun deployment and doing all stuff we did in Dubai and to have that happen to a kid. You know. You know, he had a wife and kids and stuff, and it it, yeah. it sucked. And he, you know, it wasn't it wasn't combat related. It was in a hotel in Dubai. Yeah. Uh, and what sucked for me was years and years later, my first time back in Dubai. So back down. So now this is back in 2012. So this is a good four years later. Having done my second deployment, had a fun time. First time back in Dubai. First night. First day there. And they're like, oh, Blue, you're doing Shaw Patrol. I'm like, all right, where am I doing Shaw Patrol? You know, because you could get sent to the malls. You could get sent. They're like, you're going to downtown Dubai. I'm like, oh, I hope I don't see the Radisson Hotel. I hope I don't see the Radisson Hotel. And sure enough, the driver's right down. Turn on the car and it's right there. And I'm like, this is rough. You know what I mean? But I did my, I did my, I did my Shaw Patrol. You know, it was rough, but that wasn't, but that was, you know, I wanted to talk about that because I know you talked about, you know, you want to talk about your first deployment. That was, you know, yeah. that was rough. That was, you know, that was, that was kind of a sad, you know, and if anyone wants to Google his name, it's Adrian Campos. He's buried in El Paso, Texas. He died April, 2008. He was a great kid. I, like I said, I miss him. I miss him a lot. And uh, uh, a lot of people did at the squadron. Like I said, he was a, he was a fun guy to be around. And uh, I remember I was getting back and people losing it. Like people lost it on that day, but yeah. we got back and, you know, to see people losing it when we got back as well, that was, I'm losing it now just talking about him. But he yeah. was a good guy. He was a real good kid. And, uh, but like I say, and then, uh, but like I say, I just wanted to like say, you know, you talk about your first deployment, you know, it was awesome until that point. And then it was kind of a, a mute, a mute, you know, coming home was, was rough yeah you know, but we got home we had a we had a few hiccups coming home you know helicopters not wanting to come home you know they want to break down and stuff and uh, have fun like that and then like say we can talk about my second worst day in the navy uh, we'll talk about that uh once again we this was after my last deployment we'd just done back-to-back deployments if anyone's familiar with the uh the uss dwight d eisenhower her 2012 deployment coming back home for nine weeks and then going back out and doing our 2013 deployments um we had a kid at am2 uh we'd done our two deployments he was getting out of the navy we got back third of july that's an easy day to remember for me because it's someone's birthday that's really close to me we got back um he was getting out he'd done his gps tap gps class he's getting out in september and he gets to august and we were doing all that, that post, you know, that post deployment palm leave period. You know, it's how a lot of squadrons do it. If the whole squadron goes to sea, like 50% of the squadron can go on leave, 50% can't. I didn't take any leave because I was going, I was flying home to England in September. So I'm like, I'm taking my leave then. All right, cool, 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 cool. So, you know, and we were getting rid of our helicopters as well. So we were getting rid of our Foxtrot Hotel helicopters at the time. We were getting rid of those, so we slowly got rid of all our helicopters. By the time I come back from England in September, we got rid of all our helicopters. We had nothing. And I guess the, so anyway, August, and it sucks because one of his good buddies was on the quarter deck, and his dad calls up and says he wants to talk to someone. What was going on? Uh, he committed suicide. 
No, he okay. literally had, he literally had, I'd say less than again, probably a bunch of HS5 guys screaming at me right now going, yeah, this, but he, he and they were, uh, why it hit me, I, you know, so Brian Workman, yeah, he uh, committed suicide. He had literally just weeks left in the military and uh, gone back home to Pennsylvania and hung himself. Oh, yeah. He took it, and, and and people felt bad because he'd done it because he because people had bent over backwards to give him like four weeks of vacation, you know, four weeks off, come back, do your checkout, have a great life. Yeah. And I, he was an airframer like me, but I'd spent most of my time in corrosion. And then when I got put in the airframe shop, I was on the opposite shift to him. So I would, what I would do is I'd go up to the wardroom and they would get all the, you know, the pilot magazines, the pro, you know, all the, all the, all the pilot magazines that you get, like the AOPA magazine, the professional pilot. And I would, I would read the magazines, you know, the, the, the pilot, you know, the officers, I'd go up to the wardroom, I'd see whichever duty officer was on there. I said, Hey, sir, can I borrow this magazine? Like, yeah, as long as you bring it back, Lou. All right, sir. So what I would do is I would, you know, take it down, read it, you know, cause, you know, when you're working 12 on 12 off, unless there's flight schedule phase, you know, you kind of, you know, got a lot of time on your hands, and especially during the end of the cruise, you know, you're doing all your maintenance and you're getting ready for the, you're getting ready to go home. And so I would leave the magazine for him. So when I saw him on the morning, I'd be like, hey, hey, the magazine's in there. Cause he, you know, he wanted to be a pilot, you know, he wanted to, he like, you know, he was all into that stuff. And so that's how I got to know him. And so, you know, and he, he would put the magazine back and then I took it back up to the war room. So, you know, you know, I would steal it, well, I would borrow it, <laughs> practically acquire it, read it, <laughs> he would read it, and then I'd take it back up. So, when he, so that's how that's how I remember about Brian Workman. You know, he was a good kid, and what sucks about that is actually he, we're friends on Facebook, and so every now and again, he'll pop up. You know, yeah. with stuff like, "Oh, you've been the, you've been friends with Brian. It's Brian, mm -hmm. it's Brian Workman's birthday," and I'm like, "Oh, dude," you know what I mean? He's like, "Yeah, he passed away." I wasn't friends with Campus on Facebook because Facebook was just kind of its in yeah. its infancy back then. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, and uh, I'm sorry yeah. for your losses. Oh, I, I like I say Campos. Campos hit me hard because he'd been work because you know because we've been together for so long. Like I say, Workman, he was an airframer, and I remember when they you know they come in and do the whole you know, you know, you know they come in and start talking to us and like was there any science and we're like no, no, we like you know this guy was happy. He was getting four weeks off. He was you know. He was getting out of the Navy. He had plans to go to school. You know, I was like, well, you know, as far as I went, he had plans to go to school. Like, as far as I remember, he had, he had plans. He had it all set up. He was going back to Pennsylvania. He was, you know, going to have, you know, hang out with his sister, hang out with his dad. I'm like, it, you know, it took, you know, and especially the guys in the airframe shop, the, you know, they, they were tight. They were a super tight family. Like I said, I'd been in another, like I said, I'd been in another shop for most of that deployment. I'd been the LPO of Corrosion. I like to gear part of the podcast to like uh, sailors that are in certain critical decision-making moments. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, explain to us your process of how you decided to get out of the Navy and, so, and then consecutively your decision on joining the reserves? All right. So like I said, uh, this is now 2016. So two years, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 10 years. My wife, is getting headhunted by the same well, my wife is getting headhunted by the same person that had headhunted her to bring her down to Virginia, which is where we met. Okay. Um, saying, hey, I've got a job for you. Uh, not only is it back in Connecticut, but it's back in your hometown. 
So she's like, no, Stuart's in the Navy. We're not moving. And it was, you know, this person would go away for a few months and then come back. He's sure, I've got a job. It's a, it's an awesome job. And I turned around to my wife and like, you know, she's like, are you happy? I was still happy. But like we had, you know, we had that discussion. She's like, look, you know, I miss my sister. I miss my mom and dad, my, you know, my brother-in-law, my niece, my nephew. You're not super happy about being in the military because just, just the way, just the way my career was going at the high level command I was at. It yeah. was, it was, it was, best way to describe it without sounding like a dick. <laughs> they were trying to push me to do stuff that I just wasn't interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Like I just spent three and a half months, uh, probably one of the hardest aviation schools, NDI in the fleet. I get in and they want to send me to, uh, take care of a bunch of junior sailors yeah. that are getting ready to go out on sea op debts. And I'm like, no, that's why would you send me there for a year? I'm going to lose all my skills, all my, you know, and, and until that happened, I ended up, I ended up failing the PFA actually, because down in, down in, uh, in Pensacola, you know, you're living in a barracks room with just a microwave and a fridge and so she just ended up putting on weight. So I ended up failing the BCA, which in, in hindsight, on now I would have passed. That's the, <laughs> that's the that's the that's the that's the kicker. Was it three years later they changed all the BCA managements and I would have passed? Like, are you <laughs> shitting me? So I failed the BCA. I didn't finish the PRT. No, I did finish the PRT. I didn't finish the physical portion of it. I failed the BCA. Okay. So they, so they're like, and I, you know, I failed the BCA. And I'm like, like, oh, well, you can't lead sailors. And I'm like, ah, whatever. So I just got put in the NDI lab and I just clocked up all my hours. And so I was just clocking up my hours. So like I said, I talked about NDI, how there's a lot of money on the outside, you know, six figures, easy. So <clears throat> my wife gets offered this job. She turns it down. But I'm like, so me being my smart Alec mouth goes, hey, tell her you want this much money more. And it's a decent amount which is you know more than what she's making down in virginia mm-hmm. you're not prepared to move to connecticut unless she's willing to pay this mm-hmm. and it's you know a decent figure back she comes no i can't no i can't afford that all right well, that's my price you know what i mean no i can't afford it three days later she offers a 600 dollars less <sighs> <laughs> my wife's like look where else am i going to get a job making this much money not only back in Connecticut, but back in my hometown. So I'm like, oh, she's like, oof. So that, that was the discussion. I wasn't happy. I had two years left. I wasn't happy with the Navy and the way it was going and just the way, the way, you know, and I'm like, look, I can get a pretty decent job on the outside doing NDI. So we made the decision. She was leaving. Uh, however, there was a couple of sticking points though, because the house we owned a house in Virginia Beach, right mm-hmm. there near Lindhaven Mall. If you guys are familiar with that area, right there behind Beach Ford, right in that area, right there, we owned a house. And my sister was coming over from England, so I'm like, we can't sell the house because it's unfair to my sister to suddenly drop a bombshell that she needs to find a hotel or stay in a very small, uh, you know. And we'd only had vacation plans. We were going to go over to Dollywood in Tennessee. My sister was coming over for the first time in the summer. 
to Virginia Beach. She'd been over a couple of times while I'd been in the Navy in Norfolk, Virginia Beach, in the, but she'd always come over in February for my niece's for my niece's birthday, and we'd gone down to uh, Florida. So she was coming over that summer for like three weeks. So I'm like, all right. So my wife left. We packed up my dog. We packed up her car. As much stuff in there. She ended up moving into a, my in-laws' house while we sold. While we put the house. Well, I lived in the house by myself. I didn't go crazy. Though. I'm like, all right, I got two years left. I'm going to start working on my master's degree. So I was, you know, I wasn't sat at home twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, you know what, what can I do? Master's degree. So I started working on my master's degree. Still got to finish it. And, <laughs> and, uh, so she moves, she moves up to Connecticut. She gets the job, but she has to go into the office. Sister comes, leaves. We get the house on the market. Uh, after couple, we sell it. I move into a little small apartment. We sell the house. Uh, we move literally bought the house we're in right now. I never, I don't get to see it. My wife sees it. I get the Facebook tour, <laughs> or yeah, uh, you know, the 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 FaceTime tour. She's now working from home, which has been great during the pandemic, because you know. And then, so of course, at this point, so now I'm kind of keeping quiet. I know what's going on. A few other people know that I'm getting out going on. And then, you know, it starts getting to that point where you're like a year out. Oh, what's your intentions? You know, are you going to re-enlist? Are you going to, you know, because at this point, they were starting to, uh, people were starting to leave. We'd gone through like a low manning to like high manning. So we were starting to go back to low manning again in, the, in that division. So it's getting to the crunch time and it's like, I'm due up for the orders in November 2017. And so that, you know, when you're in that, you know, the EOS, you know, up for orders, you know, eventually my chief goes, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting out. And his instant response was, I need you to put an extension in. And that's only hounded me for a couple of days because they yeah. knew they were so on demand for NDI techs that, and, and we'd had NDI techs that were supposed to be coming to us that failed out of school it was, you know, it was getting, it was getting tight. It was getting rough. You know, they were trying to get guys to go to NDI school. In fact, we ended up, and they ended up sending up, sending down like a uh, Marine, like we had two Marines. At one point we had two Marines working with us, which is very rare, you know, you know, cause one was leaving. It's like, uh, you guys need a, cause we had a Marine squadron on base. It was a reserve squadron on base. So NDI, I'm leaving. They extend me out. So I get, you know, I get a seven month extension and I'm like, all right guys, I'm leaving. Uh, you guys gonna start taking, taking stuff off me? So I literally, it gets, it's a funny story how I got out. So it gets to, it gets to December, it gets to December. And by this point, I'm like, all right, these guys need to learn that I'm not going to be around anymore. So I end up, I put a leaf, leaf paper with paperwork and to go to England for three weeks well two and a half almost three weeks so I'm like I got plenty of leave you know I my apartment's you know not gonna take that long to pack up so I put my leave and it, it keeps getting not denied but it keeps getting kicked back because I've got a whole bunch of people who don't know you know it's getting kicked back oh this needs to go through the security officer did you look at the first line <laughs> it went through the security officer first like that person is my first part of call we are going to secure officer i can't fly to england you know they have to bless me to leave yeah. the country 
So he keeps getting kicked back in. Eventually, he gets he gets signed off, and once again, he gets signed off by the wrong person. He gets approved by the wrong person because he's supposed to go to the first captain in the chain of command. It doesn't. It goes gets signed off by the OIC. I'm like, at this point, I don't care. He signed off on it. It's bought online by him. I print it off. I'm good to go. I can't get in trouble. I know what should be there, but whatever. So January rolls around. So in December, my replacement, I sit down and I say, look, this is what you need to do. Here's your calendar. You'd have to do this on this, this in the first week, this in the second, third week, fourth week. You know, it's like a, so I hand it over. So I, I, I show him this is what you need to do. I was in November. In November, I did that. December, we swapped chairs. I sat him down and said, hey, remember what I showed you last month? You're going to sit here. I'm going to stand behind you and tell you where you need to go. January rolls around. I'm like, all right, this month, you're doing it. You know, you're going to sit there. You're going to do it. If you've got any questions that we haven't, I haven't already showed you in November. I haven't already showed you in January, in December. Now's your time to ask because in February, January 31st, I'm leaving. I'm going to England for three weeks. February, you're going to be by yourself. I get a phone call. Yeah, they're freaking out about something. Something that was something that was messed wasn't messed up. Something that was legal three years earlier. <laughs> something that was legal in October 2014 is now illegal. But I ended up to him and they were freaking out while I was gone. I'm like, guys, look, I've been warning you since November. I'm leaving in April. I've got to go and get out. I've got to because of the medical program, because of because we play around with X-rays, we have to. We're in part of the uh, radiation safety program, mm. so we have to wear a TLD, a thermal luminescent device. And it was hilarious. I'm going into medical, and they see AM, and they're like, "Why have you got a? Why have you got a TLD? Why are you in the radiation safety program?" And I want to explain what I do. They're like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to Navy, naval aviation medicine," and they're like, "Huh?" So that was that was fun trying to get out trying to get out of medical. So I got to go see two different. I got to go see two doctors just to get out. You know, I got to do my physical to get out. I got to do my rad physical to get out, and it's just a nightmare trying to get all these appointments. And now you know because you know because no one knows what I'm talking about. It's kind of like oh, I need to talk to this person. No, I need to talk to this person. I need to go back to go talk back to the first person who should have known what you were talking about in the first place. You know, and uh, I've got my division officer going off on me like why are you at medical so much i'm like because i'm in literally that was part of my exit interview my exit eval my division officer who has been my division officer for a while all of a sudden was like why is it why are you always at medical well i have to get out of the radiation safety program it's like i've got other sailors getting out but you know and then i kind of mentioned that i might go into the reserve she goes well you didn't come and talk to me because apparently i didn't know this but she was a she was a reservist i'm like oh okay cool full-time spot Whatever, you know, after you know, after getting shouted out so many times by this one person who no offense to her, but I don't think she ever realized how I won't say out of step, but she was she was she hadn't come from the aviation community, so she and so we we were like, Huh? Why are you punishing us? You know what I mean? Like why are you bringing the first classes in on a Friday? You know, the OIC would be like, oh, everyone can have Friday off and to bring the first classes in to come and clean tools because someone else had messed up. I'm like, our workload was going through the roof. The number of bodies was going down and I was getting out. So I'm like, 
okay, you know what's going on my day off? Don't care. I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting out of here. You can't, you can say what you want. You can, you know, we, you know, we had a, a radio safety inspection and we had seven hits. And I, this was my fourth radiation inspection that I've been through. Uh, two was a, just there and then two was the lead and I think on the last one I got like four hits and on this one I got seven hits and you know we were doing our we did our little debrief for the guys doing our audit and they're like yeah seven hits not great but you know we've seen worse much worse and we're like all right seven hits we'll take that you know what I mean we'll we'll fix that and it was paperwork errors you know what I mean stuff like that you know what I mean it's little paperwork errors you know big deal it is a big deal we should have caught it. We didn't catch it, but we fixed ourselves, you know, and I get pulled in. And I, don't forget, I'm the ARSO. I'm not the head guy. I'm the backup, and I get shouted at for getting seven minor hits. Me and the guy who was replacing me had just been with a debrief for the other guys, and they said, oh, we went down to this other command, and they had, like, 44 hits. I'm like, oh, snap. I'm like, oh, you know, they've had some ridiculous number, and we're like, "Well, we got seven. We'll take that. We'll mm-hmm. take that. That's not bad." You know, so we had we were really struggling with manning. In fact, the old division was struggling with manning. You know, you got to the point, and you know, then he suddenly goes, "Well, why are you not helping these people?" Like they were literally. I was coming in on the morning, and I look at my workload, and I would have nothing on my workload, or maybe one or two NDI inspections, and I've got my E sevens asking me, "Hey, uh, you've got nothing on your workload." Uh, go and help out this other shop. And I'm stood there. I'm like, okay. All right. I'm here to help you. And literally every single day, we'd have to, you know, I'd have to send my guys out to go start helping. And the I request that coming in off the flight line. You know, by 9.30, I might have 20, I might have anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 masks on my workload. And then I'm stood there going, <laughs> what do you want me to do? I've been told to help these other shops out. And this was, this was, this was going on all the time. It's like, you've got no workload. Like, no, you're not. <sighs> yeah, Cause all they're looking at is they look at the computer and it says, we've got, we've got nothing. And they trying to explain to them, we're a support workshop. We don't fix things. We're a step in a process, you know? Like we're waiting to respond. So that was, that was always fun. But that was, I digress. So I got out, like I said, I got out. I got out, actually, like it was stuff like that that was getting on top of me. Like, I'm trying to tell you how it is and you don't see how it is because you can't see the wood for the trees. You want, you want these tires on the shelves. You want this, you want that. But I know what's coming, you know, you know, I could, you know, it got to the point where I, like you said, I've got a good memory. I could almost call it like, oh, what day is it? Oh, it's Monday. All right, this squadron and this squadron is going to drop off these maps. Tuesday, this squadron, this one, you know, because you knew. You could almost guess, you know, what time it was, what time of day it was, what day it was, which squadron would be dropping off a map, you know, either fax it over to us or they would uh, send a runner over to us. So it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. You know, let me just do NDI. So like I say, I got to build up a lot of hours uh, in my I Love Me binder, a lot of NDI hours. Mm-hmm. So so 
and I'm just running down the clock. I go to England. I have a good old time hanging out for three weeks with my family. And like I say, I came back. So by that point, I'm doing it with medical. I'm like just hanging out with the new NDI techs. We're going out and having a good old time with the uh, B-22s. I get my, I get out. I get my DD-214, pack up my apartment. My wife has flown down. We drive up to Connecticut. By this point, like I say, so about six, same six weeks out, um, my wife's kind of getting on my back going, hey, uh, have you applied for any jobs? <laughs> oh, not really, no. I need to apply for some jobs. I'm like, but I'm six weeks, from, I can't go for a job interview. So one Sunday afternoon, probably about six weeks from due to get out, one Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, I remember this. I go on, you know, Indeed, what all the various job websites, and I start seeing all these NDI jobs. Uh, all, these, all these companies in Connecticut looking for NDI techs. So I, you know, being a good, I treat my resume to, you know, for each job. We've put it all out there, put my education, what I did in the Navy, I was LPO, I did this, I did that, radiation safety officer, put all that on there. You know, the, the, the pretty much the, the uh, resume that you build in tax GPS, you know, I tweaked it a little bit. And I pretty much sent it out. I applied for eight jobs, two at Sikorsky, two at Prown Whitney, Team, Mistros, and two other companies. And literally over the next three days, my email and my phone got blown up from everyone except Sikorsky and Prown Whitney. <laughs> like, okay, I guess they don't want me. Team, the guy from Team called me, Todd. Uh, this other guy called me. He's like, and I'm like, they're like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in Virginia right now. I'm literally in my office in the in, in the on base, having to run out and taking these phone calls, and I'm having like quasi phone interviews. And they're like, oh yeah, we, hey, we, hey, when you when you get out, is this like this is your resume? I'm like, yeah, like you can do this. I'm like, yeah, did all this. Oh, when when are you gonna be in Connecticut? Uh, I'm gonna be up, you know, back end of April. All right, well, when you get up here, give me a call. Uh, I want to interview you. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm getting emails and phone calls like that. And so I'm like, pretty much by the time, and then one guy's really persistent because I wanted to take a week off because my, my daughter was on spring break and I hadn't really hung out with her. So I get up to Connecticut, I hang out with my daughter, I go for my first job interview that Friday. I'm walking out, he pretty much offers me the job. You know, he asked me, how much do you want? I said, because I've already done my research. I want, I want this much an hour. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, that works. All right, cool. He, he offers me a job as I'm walking out. The next week, I go for three more job interviews. Uh, and pretty much, I walk in, get shown around. And they start showing me around. And of course, it's all NDI stuff. And I'm pointing stuff out. So it's not like I'm talking. I know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Because I've been doing it for the last four years in the Navy. And uh, I go to the second job interview. Uh, I'm walking out and they're like, yeah, we're going to offer you the job. I go for the third job interview. Pretty much they're offering me the job. So at this point, I've already got job offers. Like pretty much by the time I get home or very quickly, I'm getting letters and emails saying, hey, we want to offer, the, offer you the job. So, and then, so by this point, I guess to the, I think it gets to like the Thursday and I've got the last job interview. And... I tried calling the guy the day before. I'm like, hey, look, I've already been job offered, offered job in. I've already been offered three jobs already, paying this much money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm set. I don't think, I, I think that one was a slightly low paying job. So I'm like, you know what? I 
I'm going to, I want to cancel my interview. And he's like, no, 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 come in, come in. I need you to come in. You know, because the ex-Air Force, you know, trying to care of a, a, you know, another military, you know, a, a military veteran. Uh, okay, I get there. This is, this is by far the worst interview I, I've ever had. On, well, yeah, I've probably ever had on a job interview. The guy who's supposed to interview me is not there. I'm like, oh, that's a great start. Okay, and I'm like, he's like, oh, yeah, but I've got, I've got this ex-Marine, ex-Marine, Sergeant Major wants to, whatever, high-ranking Marine wants to, you know, he'll interview him. I'm like, okay. And at this point, I'm like, I don't care anymore now. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not. So I'm like, going, and he starts asking me a bunch of questions that you can't ask me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I offer up information, you know, because I would, so what I would do on my resume, so they figured out, you know, most of the times, you know, if they, you know, if it was all, if the, if the job interview was set up all by email, then, I would put on my resume at the bottom that I'd gone to the University of Huddersfield and got my degree in chemistry so that they would go, oh, wait a minute, he's not from around here, you know? And then, uh, and, you know, questions you just, you know, you know, after being a type GPS kind of class, you know, questions they just can't ask you. Like, no, you can't, whatever, I'll just answer it. Okay, I don't want this job anyway. So I ended up walking out of that job. And then literally the three jobs I got offered is like, well, they're all paying me the same amount of money. It then comes down to which one's the closest. And like, and the one I took was 14. So I'm like, I'm taking that one. So I end up working at team. So I end up working there, get a job there. They pay me, they pay me, you know, what I asked for. I end up meeting a guy there who, uh, whose brother worked at Pram Whitney. His, his brother had worked there at team and uh, had left. I didn't leave. I wasn't fired. I left at my own accord because that guy who I'd met, he had enough. And his brother got him a job interview at Pratt. And while he was in the job interview, they were like, hey, uh, by the way, we're looking for another x-ray guy. He's like, well, you might want to talk to this guy. He just got out of the military. He just signed team. He's an awesome worker. He's a great guy. Um, and they're like, uh, yeah, give my, give me, give me, give, give him my email. Like, oh, he's like, all right. So he comes in, and of course it's now secret and submersive because you know he's talking to me because I he'd already confided in me that he was leaving. He he already told me that he was going for a job interview. So I see him. He's like, hey, um, if you can, you still got. He's like, come on, because you still got your navy, you still got your military resume. I'm like, yeah, why? Says, but it hasn't got the stuff that I've done at team. He goes, tweak it. And he gives me the he gives me the email. He says, "Tweak it and send it to Jeff." I'm like, "This guy, Jeff." I'm like, "Okay." So I go home. I tweak my resume. I send it that night. <laughs> I send it that night to Jeff. Tuesday morning, I'm there inspecting parts. You know, in the dark room. Also, my phone goes off, and it's a local number. I'm like, "Hello, hey, is this Stuart?" Yeah. Uh, this is Jeff from Crown Whitney. Um, I saw your resume. Um. We like what we see. Can you come in for an interview? Uh, yeah, sure. But I'm working right now, and I'm working, you know, seven to three thirty. I'm like, uh, can we do it? Can we do it Friday? Uh, like, super early. And then you know, I I give some excuse at work that I need to come in late, you know. But I'm working overtime left and right, so you know, they, they pay me one less hour of overtime. So I go into the job interview on Friday. They get me in, they interview me, and so, oh yeah, we saw your resume, and they're like, 
can you do all this stuff in your resume? And I'm like, yeah, why? Do you want proof? And they're like, what do you mean? And, like, and I, I've got my hat on my desk right here. I've got my, I love me binders. Got all my, all my Navy NDI certs, anything, any school I went to for NDI, any training I got. And it's got, and then in the NDI community, you keep track of every inspection you ever do. In fact, I, can, I literally it's sat on my, it's on my desk right here. My, I love me binder, my Navy binder, NDI binder. And, um, they're like, can we get copies of those? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I've already got way more hours than what's required for the job that they need me to do. And they're like, all right, well, we like what we see. Get us, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you. And I'm, I think the interview was okay. You know, they're, they're not, they're playing it pretty coy. So I go, I go, you know, I go to Starbucks and I, you know, on my way to work and I go into work and I start working and I'm sat there and, uh, Ray comes and finds me and goes, hey, they offered me the job. And I went, oh, that's cool. Nice. All right, cool. And as soon as he says that, my phone goes off and it's Jeff. And I'm like, uh-oh, you know. So I go running outside. I'm like, yeah, we'd like to offer you the job. Starting at $3 more an hour than what I was making at team. So I'm like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> um, okay, but I don't want to quit my job because I've got to do all the processing. They've got to, I've got to do the background because you know, I'm I'm working for Pratt Whitney that makes you know military jet engines. So you've got to be a US citizen. You've got to they've got to do a background check. They've got to, you know they because you're literally going to be working with stuff that goes in you know espionage. You know you know corporate espionage. You know because you know Rolls Royce, GE, Pratt Whitney. You know and then there's other companies around the world that would love to get the know well not Pratt Whitney. There's other companies that would love to know how. Pratt and Whitney makes their engines, makes parts for their engines. If that makes sense. It's, you know, so they're very hush hush. You know. Anyway, back to so I so I do the job interview for Pratt. Uh, Jeff calls me up, and goes, "Hey, we'd like to offer you the job, starting twenty eight dollars an hour. You got to do all this screening questionnaires." So I'm keeping all my cast to my chest, literally, like cast to my chest. I'm like, yeah. So for the next two three weeks, right, uh, my buddy and I are uh, like secretly talking to each other. You know, like, because he's leaving, I'm leaving. Uh, we're going to take probably two of the hardest working. Actually, no, there's another kid who who uh, we end up getting out. And I, so that's in. So I got out in April. I worked from April to August. I worked for team, and then in August 2018, I get a job making three dollars more an hour than what I med was making at team. And now, two years later, almost two years later, I'm now making. Fourteen dollars an hour more than what I was making at team. Nice. So, so I'm making, and now I just, I was, I was figuring it out. I'm making fifteen dollars an hour more than what I was making as a first class mm-hmm. on, on my base pay. Yeah. You know, and so that's where I end up. At, I end up at Pram Whitney. So I get to Pram Whitney. So I'm doing that job, and I meet some people. And when they find out I'm ex-military, they're like, ex They go, Oh, what are you in for? You know, expecting like you know, four or six years. Like, oh, I didn't patrol. Like, you didn't want to do your twenty? And I'm like, Nah, I, I was tired i was mm-hmm. done i was beaten up i was ready to leave and, like, and then someone said well, why do you jump into the reserves and do your final eight and i was like nah, i can't really do that you know i'm working third shift you know it would just mess up my body clocks you know because you know and so i was like eh, i really want to do it but i can't because of my where i am you know my body clock gets messed up you know uh, i'd see my wife and daughter on a the morning then i'd go to sleep and then when i'd wake up on a in an evening they'd be getting ready to go to bed. Mm-hmm. 
So it wasn't the best, you know. And then on a weekend, you know, they'd be hard and fast asleep. I'm wide awake. And then they did a shift realignment. And I said, oh, I won't mind going a second. What, you really want to go a second? Yeah, well, we've got a space. So I ended up on second shift, which is where I am now. So I work 3.30 to midnight. And then I got talking to my wife and I'm like, you know what? Let's just put feelers out, see if the reserves will take me. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll see what they say. So I, you know, takes me weeks to find a recruiter because, you know, I, I called, you know, I did, the first thing I did was I went online mm-hmm. and I found out why, what happened. So I went online, filled out the paperwork, heard nothing. I called, I'm like, huh, that's really weird, you know, because when I did it back in 2005, you know, I got a phone call relatively quickly. Yeah. Nothing. It's weird. Okay. So I end up doing that. I get nothing. No phone call, no nothing. I'm like, that's weird. You think that, you know, and there's, you know, you're reading in the newspaper, you're reading in the, the media that the Navy wants to, uh, you know, expand its forces. I'm like, All right, cool. So we end up, uh, I end up calling the national recruiting line and I end up talking to a civilian. And once again, he's, he can't find me. He can't find me in the system. It's like, oh, did you, you said you, yeah, I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, let me take down your details again. And he starts feeding in the computer and he gets to the part when it asks me what my date of birth is. And because I was already older, you know, I was 28 when I went to, into active duty, you know, now I'm pushing, now I'm 41. The system kicks you out. Mm. It says you're too old. But I have 12 years, yeah. and so it minus it, and so the system has got a glitch in it, and because of my age, it pretty much like just dumps my information. So the guy's trying to put it in, and he's like, yeah, it's really weird. It's not checking your information. Like, when I try putting in the date, it won't even let me, it won't even let me accept it. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, well, uh, I'll put it in, I'll put a note in, and I think they had to adjust my date of birth to put it in. So once again, no one calls me. And I'm like, well, this is getting ridiculous. No one, you know, you think, oh, you know, someone's trying to get back in, you know. So I then call, so I then end up trying calling the Hartford, Connecticut recruiting station. And every time I call up, it's engaged. And I'm like, oh, this guy, you know, it must be busy, you know. It must be busy and it's engaged and it's engaged and it's engaged. I'm like, oh, he's you know, it doesn't matter what time of day I call up, you know, if I call up in the morning, if I call up in the after, early afternoon, it's in case, well, what's going on? That's weird. And then all of a sudden, I go on, I'm looking for a recruiting station, and it pulls up uh, Middletown, which is the town just just to the east of me. And it turns out they'd moved. <laughs> and maybe the Google and everywhere else hadn't updated, and they hadn't taken their phone numbers with them. They'd left the office in Hartford and had moved down to Middletown and I'd hold new numbers. So I ended up calling up, I think it was an AO, AO2 I ended up talking to. So, you know, aviation, you know, let's talk about aviation again. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, unfortunately, we only do brand new recruits. Now, there is a first class in the area that does all returning fleet, like all the returnees. Um, here's his number and so i finally get back in touch i finally get in touch with him i call him he's like yeah i'll get back to you. he calls me i call him just a little bit of phone tag and then we end up talking he's like 
can you come down to the office in Bridgeport? And I'm like, sure. It's kind of in the opposite direction to where I work, but can, you know, I'm working second shift so I can get down there. No problem. So we ended up going down there. He's like, puts me back in there, starts doing all the paperwork, I have to sign all the paperwork, he does everything. Uh, and he's like, well, unfortunately, there's no quarters for you to be in AM. I'm like, all right, whatever, what you got up there? Carmen, HM. Okay, a little different, you know, I'm NDI, but whatever, X-rays are X-ray, you know, that'd be fun, whatever. That gets to the end of September, the quarters disappear, I can't do HM. He's like, all right. But I know they told him that I wanted to do a, if I was going to cross rate, I wanted to do a rate that I didn't have to go to A school. I didn't want to, as a 42 year old, have to go back to A school, mm-hmm. hanging out with a bunch of, you know, sub 25 year olds. You know, I'd feel like uh, Billy Madison, you know, <laughs> like the old guy in the corner, like, what's that first, you know? So HM gets closed out, close end of September, into October. Uh, new quotes come out. He goes, I know you wanted to not go to A school. I'm like, yes, I really don't want to go back to A school. It's like BM. Cool. BM. All right, sign me up. I'll be a BM. And he goes, hey, uh, I got good. I got bad news and I got good news. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. He goes, um, unfortunately, your, the request for BM has been denied. And I'm like, okay, so what other jobs have they got? He goes, um, they've created an AM billet for you. I'm like, why? I said, <laughs> Someone actually sat down, looked at your, um, looked at your DD214, and noticed that you had the NDI, the 7225 NDI. Unfortunately, in the time I've been out, they've changed all the NEC codes. It's now, I don't know, I can't remember. I've, I've seen it somewhere. They've changed all the codes. They've changed all the codes. So someone finally realized that 7225 was the old code for NDI. So they created a billet for me um, to do NDI, and in typical Navy fashion, uh, assigned me to an O-level squadron. <laughs> so <laughs> by two weeks, my two weeks a year, my one weekend a month, two weeks a year, I have to do it with essentially VAW120 back in North Virginia, which yeah. is great. Fine, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind it, and so over the last couple of weeks like i haven't been down there yet because of the whole covid thing um but more or less the like you know you have this the certain weekends you know once a quarter you have to you know we really want you to come down there's manager things that you have to do uh and i'm like well do you fly me down do you you know do i have to drive down like oh yeah well you know we'll you know we'll get your government travel card which i, I just got that you know, we'll, we'll pay for you to come down. You know, there's some weekends or, you know, there's, there's like, there's some guys that they just come here for their two weeks a year is when they come for their AT, you know, their, their training, active training. So there's some people, that come, guys that come just for that, you know? So, you know, I'm trying to set up all that now because I think our next mandatory weekend is October. But with this whole COVID-19 and Virginia just going on the red list, I might not be going. So, but I still get to drill every... And uh, we're drilling this week and this next weekend coming up. We're drilling in. Uh, I'm drilling online. We've been doing a lot of uh, uh, online training, but yeah, like I say, so Pratt Whitney's Pratt Whitney's really awesome. It's a like I say, they if when I go and do if I miss work for Navy stuff, they pay my wage as normal, but they minus out my base pay. So. 
which is great. So if, you know, they, they still pay me, you know, so I'm making, like I said, the money I'm making, they just, HR comes along and goes, all right, uh, we would have paid you this much money for these two weeks. The Navy's paid you this much money. So we're going to pay the difference mm. so that you don't take a pay cut while serving our country. Oh, so, okay. so I just got to fill out, literally, I just got to submit some paperwork for what dates I'm going to be gone. I have to submit my uh, leave and earnings statement or LES. Yeah. And they pay me the difference, yeah. which nice. is, you know, which is really nice. So it's like I had to keep all that and have fun stuff. So. Well, hey, Stuart, yeah. you've been going at this for quite a while, and I'm starting to get... Yeah, Joe Rogan ain't got nothing on us. <laughs> Three-hour three podcast. <laughs> is what I say to Joe Rogan now. I, like, I love Joe Rogan. Well, before I let you go, I got a couple of fun questions I'd like to ask just to kind of get in your, your head a little bit. Okay. Um, the first one is, if you could recommend three books to read, it doesn't matter the subject or the genre, just three books oh. to read. <laughs> I don't know if you're a big book reader or audiobook uh, I, listener. No, not really. I, I've read books. Uh, how, about, a lot of textbooks. how about film? Oh, no. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I'd go with books. I'd go with books. Um, it's really weird. Um, one of the textbook, I'll go, I'll go with textbooks. One of, the, one of the best books I ever read as a textbook was, um, I was, again, I was in the Navy, and I was trying to get my second bachelor's degree, and I had to do a humanities class. And so, uh, long story short, Navy didn't recognize my British bachelor's degree. Uh, went to Excelsior College. They recognized 90 credits. And they like, said, okay, get 30 credits, 12 with us. How do you get the other 18? We don't care. So if you're in the military, go and do the Dantes and the Kleptes. Oh. So uh, on my deployment, my, one of my last deployments, I did ethics. And I sat to, it was, it was, it was a basic ethics class. And I sat down and read, I sat down and did that. And so I read a bunch of ethics books and it really, I wouldn't say it messed with my mind, but it like it explained everything. Like all the stuff that's going on, on now with the politicians, how they're acting. I'm like, Oh, it's this type of ethics, how this person is acting, mm. how that it's like paternal ethics and, you know, mm. Socrates ethics. And you like, it, it, it's like, I was like, Oh, like, are you serious right now? I'm like, just read. I'm have to go read. I think I've, I don't think I've. I'm one of these things. Like, I I don't get rid of textbooks. I just stick them on my bookcase. <laughs> and like, I have to go and see if I've got the ethics books and just reread it. And it was an ethics book that I had to read, and it was a textbook for that class, and I read it. And so I passed that ethics class, and then I had to go, which was a, a lower level humanities, and I had to do an upper level humanities, and I went and did uh, ethics in America which was more or less the same questions as the basic ethics, just ethics in America. So I studied for that, passed that. And then I was one class short and I had to do world, world of conflict, 1900. It was a, it was a, it was a Dante's class, Dante's mm -hmm. test, world conflicts from like 1900 to another year and I can't remember 945 yeah. or no it wasn't that it was it was something it was a very unique time period and I'm a big history buff and uh because that was like my second good uh, the second school I was good at science I was okay at maths and I was okay at history and so those are like my my jam and and I'd been taking you know I'd, I'd done a couple of history classes I'd taken a couple of history clap tests I'd done like um so the rise and fall of the Soviet Union, I did that on deployment as well. It was really funny because we were stuck in San Diego. 
and I'm like, we're stuck in San Diego, and we're literally going to the aircraft doing maintenance, and then we're getting let loose. So I, you know, I'm like, hey guys, do you mind if I study for a clap test, you know, for like a week, and go and take it on base? And they're like, yeah. But uh, so ethics, ethics, the ethic, any ethics books, any ethics textbooks, you'll, it, it's just so funny because you can just sit there and watch these politicians and how they act and what they say, and you're like, uh-huh. ah. interesting. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's a book that really messed me up. I liked, I like, I like sci-fi books. Um, I, I love the the 2001 Space Odyssey series, all four books. You've got 2001, 2010, 2061, and 3001, uh, written by Arthur C. Clarke. I like those books. I like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Love that because I, I, I like using that in quotes. I'm, so I'm 42 now. I'm 42 <laughs> now. And, you know, I, all my high school friends are all, cha- are all turning 42 now, you know, this, you know, late last year, like me, early this year, and I had a good teacher buddy back in England, and she's like, oh, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm turning 42, and if you understand Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, the answer to the ultimate question is 42, uh, yeah. <laughs> the meaning of, the meaning of life, something, the life, meaning of life, something and everything, the answer is 42. Yeah. So I put that, you know, she put that she's 42 and I put that in the comment section, you know, the meaning, you know, she's like, you know, what's the, what's the meaning at all? And she, she ended up contacting me. She said, that's one of the best comments I've ever had. She said, I totally forgot about that because I was referencing. And like, I've had, you know, people in the Navy will, will, will reference Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and then I'll say something back, you know. He's like, are you all right? I said, I've got my towel, I'm good. And they're like dying, like, oh, he's good. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then one I'm really looking forward to, and this, if you want to go into movies, it's not a movie, but a TV show. Uh, I like, uh, you know, Isaac Asimov, you know, the robot series, which then got me into movies, which is, which went into movies, is all right. But the Foundation series, you know, Foundation, Second Foundation, the Foundation of Earth. I just found out one of my other Navy buddies posted that Apple TV is making it into a, a TV miniseries. I'm like, Yes. So I like those kind of books. I'm like, you know, because I've read Prelude to the Foundation, Forward the Foundation. There's a whole show. Like he wrote, so he wrote, I asked him for a couple of books. And then other people have come in and guest wrote uh, other books in that series in the same genre. It's, it's a space, you know, it's called pseudo history. You know, pretty much this guy uh, predicts what's going to happen to this galactic empire with oh. pretty good accuracy. And so everyone's trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. So he's predicting the future of what's happened. So, and like I say, Apple TV's making into that. Uh, but like, like I say, books, um, like I say, books, I, you know, there's no, like I say, the, the ethics book that I read, that I read that really like enlightened me. And it, like to this day, still like to this day, I'm like, ah, oh. and just how people, what people do. Oh, that's that kind. Of, they're using this kind of ethics. You know, they're using uh, religious ethics. They're using uh, parental ethics. They're using Socrates, and and it's just really cool. You're like it really opens your eyes, and you're like, ah. And that really <laughs> didn't mess me up. That really didn't mess me up. Cause I'm like, oh, it's explaining. <laughs> you think, you know, how is this ethics textbook explaining what's going on around you? And it just does. You know, thinking about you know, because they, they they talked about how uh, how these great ethical professors how they thought what they you know how they interpreted stuff and it's like it's really interesting. That was there that one. Like I say the uh, 
the Foundation series and the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the uh, so I, I give you four books there. Well, series, <laughs> I give you series. I give you I give you one book and a bunch of series. So, <laughs> How about same question, but songs? Can you recommend three songs to listen to that really resonate uh, with you? All right, so songs. All right, uh, uh, so. Queen, I, like I say, I was born in the late 70s, uh-huh. so growing up in England, Queen, you know, high school, Oasis, you know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the whole We Will Rock You, that was a, a boot camp story. They're like, you know, we have to do like a motivational song after uh, the, you know, the Captain's Cup mini Olympics, whatever you want to call that. They're like, what are we going to do? And someone said, well, why don't we do We Will Rock You and have Glue singing the Freddie Mercury part? <laughs> so I'm literally stood there screaming my lungs out doing the Freddie Mercury part while the rest of my division is doing we will we will rock you know so that's one of my favorite songs we will because that always reminds me of boot camp um uh you know and then Oasis songs you know I like Wonderwall you know there's certain songs I um uh, there's certain uh, there's certain songs you know I would just sit there and all of a sudden it'll come on the radio and I get a huge smile on my face because mm-hmm. I remember you know, one of the aircrew guys, because we had the uh, rock band. Is that the right one? Guitar Hero, rock band. You know, you know, was it rock band where they have the drums, the guitar, and the microphone? Yeah, yeah. You know, we had that on our, on our supply ship deployment. And, you know, the O's would, would uh, the O's would uh, argue that who was better. So we'd, we'd play rock band against each other, you know, <laughs> teams of three, you know. Was it teams of? Could they play four? Could you have two two guitars, a drum, and a, and I just remember one of the aircrew guys singing certain songs. And so when a, it's um, I'm a rider on a steel horse. I ride yeah. whatever song that is. I can't remember the name of the song. There's someone probably screaming right now. Going, is this song? Like, I can't remember. I just remember I this one. Eight, yeah, this one. This one aircrew guy just singing it. And every time I hear that song, it just reminds me of him. So, and like I say, and then um, probably, probably Wonderwall, because it reminds me, that song reminds me of another good buddy of mine who now lives out in Minnesota, I believe. You know, there's certain songs that just remind me of certain people that I've met in the military. Yeah. And, and, uh, and there's uh, Peaches by whoever, Peaches for me, you, Peaches for me, that reminds me of, that reminds me of my last deployment, because yeah. that was a song. And um, there was another, I'm trying to remember, there's another song as well, a country song, that the guys would just play it constantly in the shop on the boat and you're like oh come on guys peaches peaches for you peaches for me you know and then you know there's another song it's another country song because I, I worked with a lot of country guys that liked country music yeah you'll get that, that was always that was always Maybe. fun that was always fun and then there's me i want to listen to queen oasis and snoop dog that was a fun story <laughs> i'm sat there in the shop all by myself i'm like all right i'm in the shop I'm in corrosion. I'm all by myself. True story. And there's a guy who can attest to this. So I'm by myself in the shop. And I'm like, all right, stop this. I'm sick and tired of hanging country music. I'm putting my music on. So I put Snoop Dogg on. And I'm there singing away to Snoop Dogg, classic Snoop Dogg, you know. Like Murder Was The Case, you know, mm-hmm. Doggy Style, that album. That's my favorite album. And I'm singing away by myself, by myself. No one else in the shop. And he hears it, he's outside and he hears it and like, who, what, who, you know, because he, you know, because every time we're in the shop and there's multiple, it's always country music. Who's listening to Snoop Dogg, you know, and it's, it's a small shop as well, there's only seven of us. And he comes 
barging in, sees me, and he's like, all of a sudden realizes there's this British guy singing Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's like, he still to this day gives me grief about it. He goes, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen, walking into see my LPO singing Snoop Dogg with a British accent. So that it's is like, hilarious. <laughs> so, but like I said, I got sea stories for days and days. That was that was that was a that was a yeah. He was a good he's a good guy. He's he's really good. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. He's a good guy. He's a you know. I've met like I say the Navy. You're gonna meet everyone. You're gonna meet people that you would if you saw if I saw him now. I'd like cross the street. I'm like I don't want to talk to you. And other people, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Give him a big hug. Say hey, you know. And there's yeah. other people that you know could call me up and say, hey, I need your help. And I'm like, what do you need? You know what I mean? Because that's the kind of kinship you mech you know what i mean it's it's you know you especially when you've been through some stuff you know so but yeah you're gonna you're gonna make you know buddies you know and like you say you're gonna you know even now pram whitney there's a bunch of air national guardsmen you know we you know air force reservists you know we, we kind of you know we say hi to each other well well Stuart, i appreciate you uh jumping on with me it was super fascinating hearing your story yeah very interesting coming I, I was, from the UK to the America. Yeah. Uh, like I say, it's the, it's the average the average Joe podcast. I think that's a really good name. Like I say, you're going to meet, it's like there is no average sailor. Everyone. No, oh, no. Average, you're gonna, you know, and I, I hope, I really hope that this podcast continues. I hope you get more people to come and share their experiences. Yeah. And, and uh, thanks for pointing that out. I just want to also point out that there are no average sailors. Everybody's. No. Everybody's a superstar. Everybody's a hero, and uh, I, I just use that name just so I could talk to the everyday sailor. But like I said, I yeah. appreciate it. I'm just gonna quickly end the uh, the podcast, and if you could just stay on a little longer so we could do a little debrief, I'd appreciate it.